And we're live. Kev, we were inside before we came out to make this recording uh, and we were having a couple of coffees in our uh, newly styled off the lead merchandise Very mugs. Very fashionable. Every home should have one. They're gorgeous. <laughs> but uh, we were chatting before we got started anyway and you mentioned the similarities between Bandwagon TV and my podcast. But we, yeah. said we, we said we wouldn't get into it until we came out here. So bandwagon tv what was or is yeah that? i suppose it's kind of before the major podcast thing kicked off really you know that kind of way um bandwagon tv was all about promoting new up-and-coming artists giving them exposure Um we started off with a podcast something similar it grew into a video thing then it just kind of grew legs from there you know and it, it turned out to be quite successful Um things went for I think with three or four good years right before we kind of it was part of another business I had as well you see so things happened with other businesses we end up neglecting the bandwagon really actually in hindsight looking back and it was probably the best thing of the whole lot of businesses we had um, and we let it kind of go too easily but yeah I know podcasting thing was cool back then um, and sorry to cut across you but did, I don't know anything about it really other mm. than I've seen a couple of clips of it on YouTube was it exclusively on YouTube or no, we had a website too. Um, it was all about directing traffic to the website and YouTube, through YouTube really, you know. Yeah. Um, basically what it was, we started off, we were running our own gigs. Myself and another fellow called, I have to give him credit, Sean Mulligan, who's a great worker. Um, I, can't, I couldn't have done it all on my own and I would never claim to have done it on my own, you know, that you have to give props or props to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was hard work. Um, we thought it was going to be a way of promoting our other businesses, say the music events, um, we're doing artist management consultation, helping young artists get established in the music industry properly. So a lot of young artists were up and coming and were kind of getting rolled, basically. They weren't getting paid enough money. Um, by who, say? By, say, venues. They were basically giving songs away free to different things, say, films, TV things, stuff like that. Um, writing, giving away songs they were writing. They weren't actually necessarily recording artists. Um, just lots of that goes on. The people don't realize, It's actually a horrible business. <laughs> lots of corruption and lots of... Um, just people being neglected and just, um, yeah, it's just a horrible business. That, that side of things, people don't really see clear in it, you know, that kind of way. And is that is that that business or is that just innocent, not innocent might be the wrong word, but naive people in any business? There's naive people and there's musicians. <laughs> <laughs> I did this now, I, I could talk endlessly about this. Endlessly. Because yeah, so we, we both know masterful musicians. We yeah, really do. Yeah, like droves of Lucky to know them. Very lucky to yeah, know them. Yeah. But the one thing that they all have in common is they couldn't organise a piss up in a brewery. No. Well, a piss up in a brewery, they probably could organise. Get them to the brewery, they'll have a great time, you yeah, know. It's yeah. kind of organised and getting them there, you know. A lot of them are very laxy daisy. Obviously, musicians do a different kind of lifestyle. Some of them stay up all night, sleep all day. Um, yeah. They don't keep a schedule because they just write music when music comes to them um, you know you know the way musicals are you know so yeah a lot of them when it comes to kind of putting a plan in action so they make an album they go through the whole process they do you don't interfere with that Yeah. you let them make their album they do what they have to do um, then they come to you and want to do a tour and you just think they're going to turn up and there's a tour waiting for them <laughs> there's gigs that people know who they are no one knows who you are yet you know you have to start from the bottom work your way up Um and there's no point doing a tour. A lot of them do stuff for free. So they make an album and they, they fucking put every song up for free. That used to drive me mad. Now, this was at a time before free music now. It's a whole other... This could change weekly, this conversation. But at the time, it was before everyone was giving away their music for free. Um, 
they're just handing out on the internet and then they're making an album expecting people to buy the album but sure that's putting the 12 songs of the album up on everything for free before that so why would people go and try and buy the album like you know yeah. so there's lots of ways you just try to steer them in the right direction like you might you might put a couple of songs up for free and then you'd have to obviously buy the album to get the rest of the songs little things um, and there's ways of doing that too it's not that simple it sounds simple but it's not um, and obviously getting your music to radio um so then that'll get people to your gigs and then you can start making money you know but a lot of them are touring for free going to play free gigs everywhere they were um, spending a lot of their own money which is like you do you have to set up any business but they were turning up there they already haven't got a shilling (laughs) you know they're already they're turning up doing the gigs not getting any money going back and then the whole thing fizzles out within six to eight weeks because they've no money left so like to be honest um, through the bandwagon TV I met now this is once a month we used to record um, I suppose I might tell you a story about the bandwagon actually was, go for it yeah, yeah. What it means. so we, we came up with this idea we were doing promotions um, Sean was involved in the backroom sessions in Navin it would have been a well known music venue in Navin um, every Friday the Lantern the Lantern yeah in the back of the Lantern Sean set that up and um, basically giving local singer songwriters their own, the place to come play their own music you know and you've done other nights too but um, it was somewhere where they could go and kind of start learning their craft you know and you have to hand it to Sean for that it was a, it was, it was a great thing to do but um I I was getting into more of the promotion end of things. That was kind of Sean's baby. And then we got together and we were promoting our own gigs and doing things. And from that then, we started doing our own little bits and pieces of promotion on social media, YouTube and stuff. And then we started working with some of the local acts, just helping them and advising them, getting them gigs. Because we were a venue, all venues talked to each other. So we were able to ring other venues and say, look, we have a really good band here from Navin. Will you take them down and wherever? It could be, it could be any part of the country, you know? So they'd say, yeah, yeah, but we'll send one up to you. Yeah. So that's how it worked, you know. So we were able to get the local lads out travelling. They were sending us acts that people wouldn't have seen in Avon before and like it was great, like, you know. But um the um bandwagon then we were talking what we're we gonna do, we're gonna do this podcast, we're gonna promote this music, we're gonna give people exposure. It'll be a video then they can put on their Facebook page or at the time I think it was Bandcamp was the big thing at the time. And no one had any videos, you know, it was obviously expensive or just what Anthony had was Mickey Mouse so we wanted a professional video where they could showcase their song talk about their music talk about themselves a bit too and just start the ball rolling that kind of way you know Yeah. so we were looking at different things we looked at abandoned houses we were looking for a cool studio we were looking for this that and the other but it happened all around the time when the recession was hitting so I was lucky enough I had the carpentry company going and I had this other business going on the side it was called Profile Music Group we were called and I suppose um, when things got bad, I was looking at my options and I thought, well, your profile is still doing gigs. We're making money, we're running events. There's, there's a bit more there. So we kind of, I finished up doing what I was doing and put all my time and effort into profile, you know. So it was grand to have that. So when I when I jumped ship full-time, I was just saying to Sean, we need to really push this boat out a bit further, see how far we can take it, you know. So I was doing temporary work. This is another story. We're going to go down a rabbit hole here. Well, this is the nature of the fucking show, yeah, man. Yeah, so... I don't know, some people know, some people don't. I was doing another job at the time, um, just to make money. Like, my business had folded um, under pressure for money, paying bills. You know yourself. So I took this job through someone I knew. Um, and sorry to cut across you again, but the, the business that folded was a carpentry business. It was a carpentry building company and a log home company, yeah. Yes, yeah, so... We can come back to that later Yeah, but that, that was your trade kind of starting out. Yeah, I am a carpenter by trade. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, yeah, so... And how, again, just to kind of get it, from kind of start to finish mm. how did you go from being a carpenter to have a, anything remotely to do with like music venues or yeah it's a funny one that actually um, right so carpentry was my bread and butter um, 
I saw my time actually I fell across the road from you here Donald McKeever yeah yeah no Donald yeah. great man legend um, loved the man to death really to be honest can't yeah no enough, top guy yeah, trained me in under 16 football or something oh, right, yeah great lads yeah. Yeah, yeah Donald was great man and his whole family like you couldn't be a nicer family yeah like the sons um, Ray Gordon uh, Darren like they were great great group lads yeah salt great. of the earth yeah so um, great time learning my craft there like you know couldn't have anyone better and then just the crack we had together was great so Went from there. Anyone that worked with Donald, most of us all went on to be successful on our own. So that says a lot about Donald, you know. Yeah, very much so. Um, so yeah, it's just would give Donald a shout out there, you know. And <laughs> Props also, to Donald. Yeah, also the rest of the lads are great lads. Um, but yeah, I left that anyway when I, I think it's about twenty-two. I started with Donald it was about fifteen, sixteen, um, and I just went out on my own. Lucky enough, things were booming. You know, we know um, the Celtic Tiger was roaring, as they say. Yeah. What year are we talking? Jeez, what year was that? That was a good question. Early 2000s? Yeah, pretty right, much, okay. yeah. yeah. So, um, so at the time, so Cartman was around 1,200 quid a week, like, you know. Yeah. Um, it was great, like, but I got a few contracts on my own, just through people I knew. That took off. Got loads more work on him with different contractors, started doing a lot of my own work. Um, hired a couple of lads, got into timber frame erecting um, for some major companies in Ireland. Um, was working away grand going great for two years um, then I met up with another company um, a fella from Dundalk um, I won't name names or any of that correct now but yeah I met a lad from Dundalk um, a much older lad than me he would have been I was in my early 20s he was in his 40s you know um, and uh, I actually contracted work off him we got on really well you know but uh, he had some ideas and there's a difference between just working and doing carpentry and building and then there's kind of the business side of things you know i was always interested in business my father had his own business um i was around people that were businessmen all the time and yeah i was always kind of looking to see where can i take my business so when i met i met this fella anyway and um we decided after a few conversations he had ideas but he didn't really know how to do them you know um and then i had loads of other ideas so basically we decided to join forces um after about i'd say it was nearly eight months working together so that company then at the time I think he had about 12 lads working for me too so we joined we had about 14 lads then you know yeah and um, we joined our contracts together we joined everything together and um, we're going really well like you know Um, things were booming sure, as I said like we we're putting up five houses a week easily like you know um, that's like up roofed on everything like that's it was ridiculous you never see like it again like you know and yeah real height for, of the boom stuff yeah like. for good reason too sure they're all shite you know it really <laughs> was shite uh, if you mentioned the subject at any of the meetings with the builders you're basically told you want the contract or not you know that kind of way yeah um, and poor people are living in these houses now I actually drove to an old estate I erected in 2005 or four. Um, it's fucking shabby looking you know it's terrible it's actually like I work in the industry and it disgusts me to see like these houses won't last. Oh, people are gonna spend thousands and thousands fixing these houses in, in the coming years, yeah. which is actually going to benefit the boom again. Yeah, of course. Ironically yeah. enough, you know, yeah. um, it's one thing that always pissed me off, you know. But um, then I started building my own one-off houses, um, and it was grand. I got bored of the building thing. It was kind of um, how would you say? Like it was, it was good. But the building was good. The work was good. We were very busy. It was great, but it was the same. It was the same over and over again. And I was always looking to see what can we do, something different. So I was always into log homes, log cabins. Always, just from being a carpenter, fascinated by them. Yeah. So I'd done a bit of research online. I connected with a few people in the States. Um, and I decided to take a trip over. So headed over, met a company. The first company I met actually was called Merrimack Log Homes um, up in North America. Um, lovely people. Flew over there. 
they were they were really nice. They showed me everything actually. They didn't hold on back. They're brilliant. They were kind of a small independent company, which in America like is great because there's a lot of mammoths in America. Like you know that yeah, just of course. Fucking, it's, it's incredible. But this this was a small independent family owned company. But they shared everything about local homemaking with me. No, like brilliant, brilliant crowd. So we, we, I actually bought some stuff off them, um, and brought brought back some logs and, and just practice and just kind of tinkered around with the log home idea. Left it for a while, um. Then I done an Enterprise Ireland course, um, as you do. Um, you probably know all about them yourself. I do certainly, yeah, um, absolutely. So you get into that then, and the, the, the idea kind of kept coming back to me. Um, it's not being done properly, really. There was other crowds doing them, but they weren't houses. These are like, you know the way you think of log homes, people think of your garden shed. You think of... A cabin of A sorts. cabin out in your back garden. We were yeah. building massive houses. They were mom with 12 by 8 logs. Each log weighed about 16 stone, you know. It was yeah. a proper, proper job. So that was grand. So I, w- I wanted to really build one in Ireland. So um, I researched and researched and True Enterprise Ireland got they actually loved the idea. Um, I sold them. The, the, look, it goes on and on. You know yourself. There's so many meetings and so many meetings. I sold the idea to them anyway. So this was all going on. Everything else was booming. So the business I was booming was paying for all this research and setting up of everything for the log home business. Um, and but Enterprise Ireland obviously exported the main agenda. You know, they want you exporting. That's what yep. they want. That's you know, they want to see Ireland exporting to other countries. So we were looking at the Scottish and English market to start off with. You know, our neighbours really is handy over there. So. Um, we um, basically enterprise Ireland did grant aid to me. Um, up to, I think it was hundred thousand at the time. Um, we set up a fifteen thousand square foot facility near Dundalk. We went to Switzerland. We sourced all the machinery. You couldn't get this machinery in the, in Europe, nearly never mind in Ireland. Yes. Yeah. Um, you're talking mammoth sized logs that you're cutting, like you know. So went to Switzerland. They have everything over there. If you don't have, they make it for you. You know, I met some absolutely amazing people over there. I've seen amazing factories. Like you want to see this place, like. Like, you think of an idea, they just manufacture a machine that'll do this for you, you know? So we went over there, bought a couple of machines, brought them back, and then we made a kind of a sample house, you could say. And I went after the leisure market first, simply because golf clubs, leisure clubs, it kind of suits them. It's Yeah, kind of upmarket, know. novelty type yeah, thing. Yeah, and plus they have budgets, believe it or not. So if yeah. someone's building a leisure centre or a golf club, they have good money, they're not going to cut it, they're going to do it right the first time. So that's kind of where I went after. But I ended up getting a golf club to build great clients again um, manufactured the whole thing in the warehouse got it up and it snowballed from there then other people seen them then the main business end of it end up being retirement couples to be honest people building their dream home they've always wanted for their lives people have travelled seen log homes and came back so that's what took that business off it was great but um, we um, started exporting to Scotland it was at a trade show in Scotland actually and um, met a fella um, I'm trying to think of his name now he wouldn't he won't be listening to this I wouldn't say anything James <laughs> McNabb was his name from Motherwell um, very staunch Scottish man but he was working for a window company at the time so I ended up meeting him after the show one night it was like one of these ideal home shows you know these fucking big shows like yeah trade show like. it was a big trade show so uh, he was sick of selling windows but he was a real salesman you know people think of a window salesman <laughs> he was a fucking window salesman he if you if you had if you had no room for windows he'd replace your windows just because he talks that good like you know? yeah 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 sand to the Arabs type so fella. I was like this is what we need like over here you know so like I know it might annoy some people these kind of salesmen but these lads like they get results like you know so I got on to him anyway and they made him an offer basically he couldn't refuse so he came working for me took over the whole Scottish market for me um, he started getting sales and that was great like you know yeah. but in the end he'd done his own deal in the side which look happens business business he um obviously started produ- we obviously done a deal then for him to sell in Scotland he was putting the windows so he was double dipping he was using the company he was doing the windows with then 
in yeah. the house as well. So fair play, and can't you know it worked out well for both of us, you know. But uh, James was yeah some man all right. But yeah, went went well there. But obviously things went bad. Then what was it? Two thousand seven and eight. It was signs of it, you know, but not major. No one was kind of rumors. Say. Yeah, there was rumors. Um, we are still very busy, like you know, very busy. Um, there was rumors that it wasn't rumors of a crash coming. People thought it was going to slow down or. Yeah. Um, it depends who you listen to too, you know what I mean? Like, we went to our bank, I don't know how many times for different meetings. This was a time when the bank used to fucking bring you for breakfast once a month <laughs> and try and make you take Everybody's money. best friend, like. Yeah, yeah, like, they used to make, like, I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating, like, they used to ring me on a regular basis and offer me fucking money to do something. Like, of course they did, yeah. Have you any ideas? Yeah, what, what is it? Will you come to have a meeting? So you have a meeting, you think, look, I'm thinking of doing it, right, how much is it going to cost? 200 grand. Right, give me a week Here's or four. whatever. <laughs> yeah, they'd ring you back then and say, right, the board is approved. Like now, a lot of them I didn't take, you know. But it was just when you think back now, it's fucking ridiculous. Like, but your people weren't looking for a mortgage for a house for fucking two hundred grand, and they were told two hundred grand is not going to get you. And here's four. Yeah, and a half. buy a car get as a well. Car, you know, have a yeah. holiday, but you know, knock yourself out. But that's what you get when you've fucking bankers on commission, like, yeah, which is essentially what it was. That's what like. it was. Yeah, get the money out the door, you know, get your commission in. But um, yeah, look, in hindsight's a great thing. But anyway, that went on and on and on. Um. I was going down about the meetings with the bank and all that kind of stuff. Well, it was just the, the log cabin business kind of basically folded up. So it wasn't the log cabin. Log cabin was still going well. The building business was folding. Oh, okay, sorry. Right, yes. So yeah. So yeah. Anyway, the building business folding up. Um, so oh, look, long, long story short, um, two major builders went bust. Um, within two weeks, I was down one hundred fifty thousand. Lovely. Um, I had 22 lads at the time wages overheads 15,000 square foot facility <laughs> <laughs> uh, four van you know everything on the road but uh, myself and my business partner were, this is another thing now if anyone's ever getting into business I learned well I've been into business with partners a few times now right sometimes you have to go that way but I'd never go into business with anyone ever again really yeah I've learned that the hard way now but um and it's not all my fault either. It's hard to work with people, you know. When things are flying and the money's rolling in, it's so easy. When things are hard, that's when you really see... That's when the snakes come out of the grass, isn't it? Not even snakes. It's just, um, it's the, like, I, I work harder when things get hard. Like, most people would. It's just natural, right? So things are going bad. We have to work fucking hard. When you're doing really well, you get used to not working really hard. Yeah, of course. Does that make sense? Which, that's the whole point. And then I don't mean mentally. So mentally, you're always busy. You're doing, like, your pricing the whole time. You're doing, you're organising lads. You're organising, meeting clients. You're doing everything, right? So you're busy all the time, but you're not physically busy. Mm. When things get bad and slow and you have to let lads go, you have to get back on the tools and you have to make things work. You know, how you started off. Yeah. So I had no issues with that. I jumped down to the two. I was straight in again, actually loving it. When you found love for carpentry again, believe it or not, Got my hands back on the tools. Um, I actually really missed it then when I got back into it. But um, the lad working with me had no interest in ever picking up a hammer or doing anything ever again. <laughs> so uh, his whole attitude was, no, no, we need to get more work in and we need to, you know, keep selling it and selling it. And selling it. I'll sell it, I'll sell it. But sure, there was nothing fucking coming. Like, he was selling. There was no one buying that. Like, you know. So I looked at him and said, look, the only market to go is Scottish and England is still going strong. Yeah, they're having a dip too, but look at the numbers. Like, so like we were we were spending money on advertising in Ireland. So say we spent twenty grand a year advertising in Ireland, you're only hitting whatever. Right? How many people in Ireland now? Four million. There, thereabouts. Yeah. Right. So you're only hitting a fucking small percentage of that four million that are interested in your product. Yeah, of course. As you know, you you worked in sales. You know the crack. Oh yeah. Right. So then I was arguing to him. Right. So a small percentage of the market in London and Scotland is fucking millions compared to maybe if you're lucky. 20,000 a year you know yeah. what I mean so I was saying fuck Ireland basically let's go to the UK and just 
keep the log thing going over there. So uh, he was like, no, 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 we have to stay around. So basically fell out over the whole thing. Um, I decided, look, this isn't for me. But in the meantime, during all that, I got to meet some uh, interesting people, say landowners and different people that had different kind of different like, like to be honest I nearly bought a fucking castle right that's what happened I nearly bought a castle um, that's the boom now yeah yeah. D- d- yeah what would you want a house for when you I mean, go castle, castle Blaney there right so we went down to Castle Blaney the place was for sale we were going to there was an island in it we were going to put a fucking zoo in the island we were going to build holiday homes <laughs> <laughs> you know this is what I'm saying you know things just snowball <laughs> this is before things got bad you know so this was ongoing for about this was ongoing for about a year and a half, negotiations and this. Yeah, yeah. So it turned out there was a sitting tenant in the fucking castle and he wanted like, I think we wanted 300 grand to get out. Um, and I wasn't fucking paying him 300 grand. Even if I had it, I was just going against me fucking grain, you know? Yeah. But anyway, I met another lad that had a great idea in my travels and he wanted to put, he wanted a place for a zoo. Now, not like Dublin Zoo, but on a smaller scale. Tail Park type setup, maybe. Before Tail Park was even heard of. But that's what I mean, yeah. a similar type yeah. setup. Yeah, like. no, there wouldn't have been amusement or rides or anything. It was yeah, going to be an zoo, yeah. zoo uh, right? Photo wildlife park type Similar setup. again, yeah, but this was great because, right, it's, it's um, Lake Mukno. In Ca- Castle, people know it. Like, you know, it's a fucking big lake. There's a castle there. There's a golf club beside it. It's lovely. Mm. Um, but there's an island out in the middle. And it was perfect. I thought this clash. We'd have the fucking zoo there. And then there's another area right beside it again where we could have had maybe a hundred holiday homes. We're going to build log cabins, obviously. Yeah, of course. Then we're going to renovate and do up the castle, you know. So it made perfect sense at the time. It wasn't out of the ordinary at the time of the boom, like, you know. Um but lucky enough look, I I, I had some contacts in Bank and World Tours talking and I was looking to see I need four million and we're nearly there thereabouts and raising the funds, you know. Um, Yeah. And then things started to go bad and that was kind of put in the back. But look, gee, looking back now, I'm delighted at it. Actually, maybe not. If I had got talking to four million and all, I would have just been gone now. I would have went into Nam or something. Yeah. The fact if you owe a couple of hundred grand, I would have chased it till you die, you know. So I probably would have been better off taking the four million than fucking going bust. But um, that was grand. Sorry, banging the mic. Um, that was grand. Um, went from there anyway. I met this chap. Um, he was going to do the zoo. We were going to do the holly park. We were going to do everything. But... Uh, it was just you meet all these kind of people but um, that place down there I thought would have been perfect for like a slain castle festival type stuff. it's the same thing there was a hill going down there was a lake it would have fitted like I, uh, probably 60,000 people I looked at and then I was thinking this is fucking perfect you know and then through knowing all the musos and Nav and, and around and through my sister Joy actually as well I was asking who would you think would be good for I don't want to go to like an MCD or an Aiken. Like, fuck them. Like, you know, if the market's on up. They're the two big music promotions. Yeah. I'd love to do an independent music festival with big names, you know. I said, I'll get the fucking cash together. At the time, yeah, I had investors and stuff. I was like, we'll get the cash together. We'll get but I want to give someone a fucking, I want to do this with someone that is on the up. So next minute, I said, well, Sean in the back room has a load of contacts. He's into, like, he had all the good Irish acts coming there at the time, believe it or not. He'd, and uh, he was a hard worker. So I ended up meeting Sean, brought him down and showed him the place. He's like, fucking hell, this is way above my pay scale. <laughs> <laughs> Which I wasn't hoping to hear. I was like, because I'm the opposite. I, I see something that's a challenge. I was like, fuck, I'm going to make this work, you know. But Sean's like, no fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> Which is understandable. Yeah, well, listen, he, he, some people fucking... Some people don't know their... They don't know themselves well enough to know what they should or shouldn't get into. And that's when people get in over their head. And that's what yeah. you don't want. So he was probably... He was right to say... He was dead right, yeah. No, I, wish, I wish I had listened to him more. Don't, don't, don't <laughs> tell him I said that. Um, but that was grand. Yeah, so look, that's how I met Sean, believe it or not. And through that, um, 
I used to go to the back room. I loved what he was doing. Um, it was great. Like um, through that, then we just kept bouncing forward and back. And then I met another site in another lad had a big castle in fucking Kilkenny. Right. Um, oh, I don't. Know. It wasn't a well-known castle or anything. Um, in fact, I think it was used for other things by fucking provos and stuff. You know, I won't go into that. Okay, I'll sort. But they're all into making money, as you know. So uh, they approached me. I don't know how. Some lad I knew in Kilkenny must have knew them and he said it to me that <laughs> this fella's actually might have a way of doing a gig there, you know. So they contacted me. They just want to fucking make money, you know what I mean? Or launder money. I don't know what the fuck I wanted to do, you know. Um, so I brought him down to show him that site as well and then he seemed like there's two possibilities. Like, jeez, this fucking fella is for real, is he? <laughs> He's mad, like, you know. So we got talking and in the end then we decided to post some smaller gigs together. Um, well, these are on the burner like the whole time, but... Um, as a... Ma- as a- by way of kind of dipping your toe into the whole industry or yeah well dipping our toe into the industry seeing seeing what we'd work together I'd say really without even saying it to each other out loud but I think we were just testing each other you know yeah of course um, which was grand and we did do gigs so we developed the whole Nav and Live thing um, and that was going pretty well we had some major acts actually in Nav and for that Nav and Live well that was the Arbine was it or no Nav and Live would have been what was the first one actually the first one we would have done would have been out in Gormer Lock Right. Um, 900 people with Damien Dempsey. Okay, yeah. It was great, and I went well. So that was a nice little tester. Then we went from there. We started having live, so we done a massive gig there in um, the old Barrisk. Yeah. Um, and out there, great job, in the back car park in a big top. Oh, I remember that now, actually. Yeah, yeah we yeah. done a couple of years. So the first year we had um, with Sharon Shannon and the big band, um, Paul Brady, Damien Dempsey, Declan O'Rourke, all major Irish acts, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, 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 Sean had contacts through booking acts for the back room. And then from in between all that, actually, we were helping out the other acts, as I explained. Yeah. Um, so then we developed a business called Profile Music Group. Um, so our aim there was to kind of, as I said, help up-and-coming acts, establish them, get them to go a bit further than they were going. And then, obviously, the main aim was, right, if they're doing well, we'll try sign them up. We're going to create our own label, you know? Yeah. That was the end game, you know? It's not, that's what it was all about. Um, so through that then, anyway, Profile Music Group then started growing branches, you know? So we had the gigs going on one end, um, you could kind of say the backroom fell into it a little bit, even though after that was Sean's thing, he set up, so I didn't really, we didn't really tamper with that too much. And um, when we started doing the gigs, the artist management, um, then we got into for ice rinks. I'd, I'd, I'd Navin, Navin and Ice. I don't know if you remember that. I do, that. I yeah. do. I didn't know that was you. That was me as well. Yeah, fucking crazy again. Another mad idea, but um, yeah, I done that two years. That was great actually. And just a, a nice <clears> ring that you set up in the ra- the race course, wasn't yeah, it? In the race course, yeah. So they were great. So um, approached another actually neighbour yours, John McGarry. Yeah. Lovely, lovely, lovely lady. Um, and I went out to the race course, and uh, should they fucking love the idea? They're mad to use the facilities out there. Um, I actually no, I didn't. I approached the council first. Okay. And I said, look, this fucking town. Sean works for the council as well on the side. So basically, I should say, yeah, Sean has a job in the council the whole time we're doing this as well. He never left his job, you know. Right. Um, which, why would you? <laughs> well, <laughs> he works in IT in the council. So on the side, he was doing this with me. So Sean had a lot of contacts in the council. So we arranged meetings with high up people in the council. I won't name them now because um, the council is a whole other issue. I yeah, yeah no, of course. Yeah. Um, but sold him the idea. They loved it. Absolutely loved it. They were delighted that stuff was happening in Nav and you know all that kind of stuff. And um, we want to do it on the plaza. That's where I envisioned the ice rink originally. Um, that's between say Duns and the shopping yeah, centre, that car park area. That's and that's by the way, it's, that's where it should be, and it should be still there every year, even if anyone was else to do, not just me. Like, but it, that's it's perfect for you know, and that whole car parking thing. We can get into that again. That's local politics, but. Um, 
I think Dunstow was put a stop to it. They, they, right. were, they were worried about the car parking spaces and the, oh, there'd be less people coming out of shop. Whereas in fact, it would have been the opposite because when we done it the first year, before I think we had, oh, you might, I was up in the thousands through the place anyway. Like you know, yeah. it was amazing. But uh, the footfall I would have brought to the town, even alone, you know. Actually, I wanted to do it in Fairgreen as well, and the fucking market stopped because of the Friday. Of course. I was like, how many fucking Fridays is there over Christmas? Like, you know what I mean? But anyway. It was actually going to be running over eight weeks, so it was probably about four Fridays. Yeah. So the market wasn't willing to move to the... Pl- actually, the other option then was having the fair green move the market to the plaza. Right. They didn't want to play ball either. Um, I think they looked for a ball of money, just chancing a fucking arm the traders did, you know? So there was loads of local politics. Anyway, so in the end, right, fuck this. I wanted it in the town, but it wasn't going to work. It was too much shit going on. Actually, post Park Tolchin as well. Yeah, yeah, the football ground. Um, They were mad for it, but then they wanted to charge me a ball of money to have it there. I was like, ah, it's not really worthwhile if you're going to charge me a ball of money. We could look at doing some kind of a, like a split. All they were doing was giving me their car park. No, the car park where the swimming pool used to be. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't going to be in on the pitch or anything. It was going to be in that mean, car park. Yeah. So, uh, no fairness to them, they lost out on that one. They weren't willing to deal again. So, you, you meet all these people. But anyway, in the end, went out to the race course. They loved the idea. Didn't even charge me to be out there, you know. They loved it because we done it with packages with the racing and you could get a family day out, kids go skating parents go to the races with loads of benefits to having it there you know increase the footfall increase the awareness of the race course they're always up for doing that so it worked out really well there um so that's how the ice ring started um plus i was used to working in building at the time i obviously just left the building game but um an ice ring is basically on the floor heating in reverse okay so instead of heating something up you're cooling it down you know so that same thing you run the pipes out the same way you have headers but uh instead of pumping hot water through it you're pumping glycol through it Glycol. Glycol. So basically it's like sugar syrup. Okay, so it's it freezing freeze. point is minus 20 or whatever oh, it is. less. Oh, even more. Like, yeah, if glycol basically doesn't fucking freeze. Like, you know. So you you put down a, a kind of a temporary floor, almost like a stage <coughs> floor, with this piping so, underneath it and then flood it with water? Or? So basically I don't want to put a marquee in. Um, floor the marquee. You have to insulate the floor, obviously. Yeah. You don't want to, like, like on the heating, you don't want to lose your coal through the bottom either. Yeah. So no insulate. point heating the ground. Like. Yeah, or freezing it. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, actually, yeah, to get back onto this, i never done ice rink before, right? But I knew how on the floor heating worked. Um, so the two lads, at this stage, actually, I must mention, um, that's how we got into this rabbit hole. That job I took <laughs> after the building went bad, I was doing during all this time as well, because I needed cash. And the fella that owned that company, oh, he just got talking to me about, jeez, you're doing loads of stuff. Um, really think it's great to see. You know, all this kind of stuff. He said, look, I have a ball of money, basically. If you these are pretty good, I'll fucking help. Bankroll it like Yeah mm. So that's what happened Out of the blue I never even went looking for him or anything So he just heard about me Doing different things And said look I know this isn't your gig You're not going to be here forever You're not made Like You're not going to stay doing st- That's a security job um, It was a specialist type of security I'll get into that again But um, In the security job And he's like This is fucking You're only going to hang around here For a while and fuck off The minute you get a break again You're that I can see it in you, you know, he's very, I, I got him well at my time So that was grand So he was bankrolling This whole thing So it was not as if you know, I was borrowing money or I had a ball of money. I didn't. Like, I was under pressure like everyone at the recession, you know. But I was yeah. just, just trying, trying to make a dollar again, you know. Um, I don't know, as my wife would probably tell you, a bit of fucking Del Boy, you know. I, I dream these ideas some nights I get up. She thinks I'm messing and then I start fucking going at them. Like, you know? <laughs> or a bit the same yourself. Herself just fucking just roll the eyes. Like the yeah. se- I started talking about podcasts about six months ago and she was like, I don't. Care. <laughs> I just don't care. Yeah, God love her, like. you know. And it's actually harder for the partners nearly than us, I think. Because you're lost in the whole thing, isn't Big it? Big time, like. And then you know, they they start complaining that you're always talking about it, so you stop talking about it, and then they don't hear when you do something about it, and you're the worst in the world. And like, yeah, oh. 
They don't so, have it easy. You know yourself, like, you come up with it, you, you think, right, this could work. And then you, you just kind of, it never leaves your head. Like, the shit ones I find leave your head pretty quick. And Yeah, the good ones kind of hang around. Yeah, without you realising it. Yeah, you yeah. You know, so you could be taking a shit and I'll come back to you. Or you could be... <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> Random times yeah. during the day, this idea pops back. Why is that coming back into my head again? But true Enterprise Ireland, believe it or not, when things were going good, going back, way back, I done I done every course going. Yeah, same as myself. I was well-funded. I done all these... Inter- I, went, I went abroad and everything. They, they were brilliant. I can't say enough about them, right? But it's a whole fucking scam, Enterprise Ireland. That's a whole other thing. Um, I'll distance far enough from that comment there's nothing <laughs> there but I've been through the whole process I actually got funded a lot by them but uh, there's lads there's lads making backhanders there left right and centre um, through the whole system you know like every innovation vouchers and, and all the rest of it innovation vouchers preferred bad. suppliers lists yeah so look I'll come back to that as well so if I keep going in these rabbit holes I'm going to get lost no look you know? look you're grand you're grand so, you're on track so basically you remind me to come back to the dice ring security thing but Enterprise Ireland, right? It's great. It's great. It's actually brilliant. When it works out brilliant, it's brilliant. But well, here before we go down the Enterprise Ireland rabbit hole, because we we started off with you doing your trade as a carpenter, mm. then it went to building houses, then it went to log cabins, mm. then it went to uh, the, the events and sessions the ice and, the and all that stuff. And yeah, fucking yeah. zoo and the castle yeah, and yeah. the fucking uh, yeah the the security. So keeping it kind of linearly. Where what was next after? Like, so you're doing the ice rings. So we're doing the, the ice rings. Yeah. So basically, yeah. So ba- yeah, I took a risk on doing the ice rings. I've never done it before. I think that's what I was telling you. So I knew how underfloor heating worked. Yes. So I actually just fucking don't know. Everyone does just Google. Yeah. So talk out there. Google. You see, it's funny. You start again to cut across. Mm. But it's funny you say that. You do what everyone does, and you just Google it. People like you do that, and people like me do that, and. It, We've been doing it for fucking as long as the internet's been around. Yeah. But people are only really starting to cop onto that now, I think. Yeah. Which is a great thing. Well, if you're willing to learn, I think you can educate yourself on anything, you know? Oh, absolutely. You, you, don't, you don't need to go and do a fucking, I don't know, a four-year course in fucking ice rink and design. Learn, and, and, and learn how to do it badly. And, and learn how to fucking do it, like, you know? I find, anyway, I'm actually quite lucky. Um, I can follow things on YouTube now this goes for um, another thing we'll probably touch on later in martial arts and everything I can watch a video on YouTube once or twice and I have it then you know that kind of way it's funny yeah. like well it's a visual thing you're, you're seeing you, someone do it it's, it's yeah we put it this way for the last so many million years the way we've been learning is by looking at our parents do things mm. and looking at our neighbours doing things and that's that's how we've evolved to learn mm. like reading is only like how long is writing even around well, that's is true, it yeah. what a couple of hundred years no no it's more than that couple, but, but you know the, the low yeah. single digit thousand years is all it's around like, yeah. like fucking cave paintings are only what 20,000 may, maybe a hundred thousand years yeah. but like we've been evolving, evolving so right, for what was the first writing was it in post, was it the start of Hindu wasn't it what was the name of that writing ah, it's, it's, a, it's a dodgy one because cave paintings you could yeah. pass as writing yeah, yeah. kind of way but uh Anyway, there's another fucking rabbit yeah. hole. So, <laughs> you're... Where are you? Yeah, so when you took a rest, learned how to do the ice rink on yes. YouTube. Fucking set it up. Didn't know anything about fucking glycol. I was like, what the fuck is this shit? Had to find where I can buy it then, you know? Now, I wasn't looking for two litres of glycol. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking fucking tons of glycol. So, got the glycol going anyway. Found out with the chiller. Got it all organised. Set it up. Fucking thing worked first time, like. Right. You know, got a few lads and see Ireland is another thing there is a nice kind of um, I don't know what would you call it like a nice hockey association of Ireland there's a figure skating association of Ireland 
and like every lot of associations in this country, um, they're a fucking disaster. The, the ice hockey one tried to do their own thing before. I don't know if you remember Dundalk, the ice dome. No, no. There was a full-time ice rink in Dublin originally, then there was another full-time ice rink in Dundalk. And to one thing or another, they never worked, not because they weren't good business ideas, because there's so much bureaucracy and shite with these associations, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I found it real quick when we got into the ice rinks, obviously they start coming out of the woodwork. Oh, you can't just have an ice rink and you can't. It's fucking right, I can't. I can do what I want, you know? Yeah, watch me. I wasn't looking to have like a hockey team or have a full-time ice rink and I was doing it for Christmas period ice rink bit of crack Christmas market blah blah these lads were coming in oh you can't just set up an ice rink I, I basically I fucking can I can do what I fucking like you know what I mean yeah, of course, yeah. to, they were a bit trying to intimidate you a bit at the start but then they realised obviously I don't give a fuck about intimidate easily so um, that was grand they left us alone so they actually tried to not they didn't leave us alone really they tried to kind of belittle the ice rink and all this is not a proper rink but it never was meant to be you know what I mean like they came out and looked at the technique they were doing it that's not right so if you did it the way they want to do it it could probably cost you a million euro you know what I mean yeah so um, got through all that at the start got the ice rink up and running it worked out perfect in the end one little issue with the headers. There's no such thing as these headers for the ice rink unless you buy. Sorry, you said headers a couple of times. What are headers? So headers are, are um, there's a flow and return on any heating system. Yeah. Exact same for an ice rink. So they both have to come back to flow and return. So there's two big long pipes to headers. So it flows in one and returns in another. It keeps the glycol cool all the time. So okay. Back out. So um, had to get them specially made. So because I didn't buy a kit, you can buy kits. You can buy an ice rink online. Yeah, like, of course. You can buy fucking yeah. anything. And get it shipped in. So. This time we didn't. We we kind of went our own way, you know, because we custom made it to a certain size to suit budget, to suit everything, to suit the marquee we had, you know. So we made it to suit, and it worked out grand. But uh, we had a leak with one of the headers. That was the only issue we had. Fixed that. That was grand, you know. So lucky enough, that was the only major issue we had. Yeah. Got the ice rink up and running, got it in, got it going. It was a huge success, like, the first year. It was fucking great, like. um, Done it the next year, and I don't know what year that was. It was fucking terrible snow and ice and everything for the whole of Christmas. Yeah, the two bad years we had, wasn't it? Fuck me, it was a bad one. So um, we lost our bollocks that year, to be honest. But um, the only people that came up during that year when things were bad now, to be honest, it goes for six day weeks. Now, to give you a perspective, to keep the ice frozen, people think when it's cold, it's great for ice rinks. It's not. Wind melts ice. Really? Yeah, wind is the killer. So... But even if you're in a marquee, you know, you still get wind and draft and all. So wind will melt ice. So we had to um, obviously keep the chiller. You have to check the wind the whole time, check the temperature outside, temperature, what's going to be that night. So you have to constantly adjust the chiller. It's a fucking... All the time to keep your ice at its maximum, you know. But um, no one came out that was windy, it was snowy, it was a horrible year for We were just, oh, fuck this. And all. Like, it just happens, you know, take a risk and shit happens. But um, the only people that came up that year were um, a Polish... A Lithuanian, a lot of the Eastern Europeans that were living in Ireland. Were, you were used to the snowy roads used or whatever to it. They came up. We ended up having hockey tournaments. We ended up having, actually, the Figure Skaters Association of Ireland, the rink in Dundalk had since shut down, I think, just before that Christmas. And they know where to skate anymore. Belfast is the only rink in the country. Um, so they all came. So only for that kind of, kind of helped us a bit. We didn't yeah, lose took as the much. Sting out. Took the sting out. Um, and then... Went from there, the ice rink was great success, yeah. And like now, whoever thought I would have a fucking ice rink, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, that was a few things we done. So, again, the council missed out there and I haven't in the town, you know. That, that was another big thing that annoyed me. But, um, we went down from there, done the Navin Live gigs. Then, um, the last year, Navin Live actually, we had UB40, yeah. Um, great gig too, and a few other big names that year on the stage as well. So, the, the gigs were going great, it was grand, like, but, um, through all that, then we got into the artist management, as I said. so there was a young lad from Nav and he, I don't know, he'll probably be listening, Christy Leach, lovely chap. Actually in the big band doing really well at the minute called Le Boom. 
check them out they're actually really really good um, actually I think it's Clarkie's niece that's in it with them as well right. I can't think of her name I'm very sorry at the minute <laughs> um, they're a great band up and up and uh, so Christy was from Navin um, he used to go to the backroom sessions big into his music and I know Christy from just the mu- music yeah, scene yeah so he used to just watch acts and then he set up his own band if, he's a teacher and there's a few teachers in Dublin they set up their own band they were called Henry A Game um, fucking cracking band um, it's kind of a folky thing with a twist but uh I heard a demo they sent to Sean. And Sean never knew what to do with it. People send the demos all the time looking for gigs in the back room, you know? Yeah. And when I heard I said, This isn't this isn't just for the back room. This is there's something here that could happen, like, you know. Yeah, there's an opportunity for these guys. Yeah, so they're actually great to work with and everything and end up getting big game. Up, uh, loads of stuff happened, toured the whole country, end up making an album, got album of the week and RT, made all the radio stations, we fucking played every station in the country, every Savage. festival. Went really well. Um and then I won't go into the reasons why the band broke up. Um, they have their own reasons. Um, they, they, they they end up just whatever. The, there's there's four or five of them in the band. Stuff happened between the f- like I think there's a couple of them going out together and that fizzled out. And there's other strains and you know yourself band life. Yeah. Um, it's fucking tough being on the road too. Like at the time I was doing tour manager and setting up the gigs at the same time for them. So like you're going constantly gigging and it's fucking horrible. Like people think it's a nice life. It's fucking horrible. You know, it's a slog. It, you're doing it for fuck all. You're in and out looking. You go to some venues and it's just people that aren't interested in your music and it's a slog. So anyone that does it and comes up that way and earns their stripes, you have to hand it to them. You oh, yeah, Give me a new appreciation for actually the way musicians break through, you know. Yeah. Um, but I suppose like anything, you have to work your way up and earn your stripes, you know. Now obviously there's exceptions to every rule, but um, to see how it was done that way was amazing. And just meeting, I actually met a load of really cool people along the way. But uh, went from that then, and um, the whole time I was doing that, I was working with this fellow for the security, and he was funding all the different ventures. But um, we set up then a venue actually in Avon Swan Lane up in the Arboyne. Yeah, that's the one I thought you mentioned earlier. Right? Yeah, that was the last venture I was involved in, and. Um, yeah, it was going really well. It was going cool. But uh, I don't know. People go to Dublin to watch these big names before they go to Navin to watch them. I don't know what it was. It was just a kind of a... The, the local music scene would come and watch the gigs, but the general gig goer was still... I don't know. I, I got the vibe that they still go to Dublin to watch a gig. You know where... We'll put it this way. I've been to 100 gigs in Dublin. I've never been to one gig in Trim. Yeah, even though it could be the same band. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it was very interesting. These are big names, like, you know. But uh, so basically, it was a business. They needed to make money. So the boys kind of I think went more into the dance route you know and that's where I lost interest I'm not into the whole dance scene it's not yeah. for me it's look each to their own that's just not for me you know oh, yeah. uh, we know what that brings to a venue as well it's just a fucking mess of drinking drugs and you know it's just a horrible scene to me it's just not something I mean it's, it's something I never gravitated towards myself yeah. and again same as yourself you know each to their own but yeah, look, if yeah. it's not for you it's not for you yeah so I felt I had disillusioned with that whole thing anyway and I ended up Parting ways with the lads, you know, um, and I had a few other things I wanted to get into myself again anyway. But yeah, I just said, like, you know, this is going the way it's going. Um, the band obviously had just broken up. That was our major act, really. The music thing was changing to the dancing, not for me. Um, the the fucking ice rink lost money that year, <laughs> as I explained with the weather. Um, the UB40 gig actually lost a few quid, believe it or not. Um, so I was like, this is like, you know, and, and the pressure was on. So the venue was actually doing all right, but... Um, there was three of us involved in that then you know and understandably the, the the investor was getting a bit anxious which he would yeah. so he wanted to take a more hands on approach but he wasn't he didn't know anything about the industry and 
he was kind of fucking things up a bit worse than they already were. Like if he had left alone, it probably would have been all right. But he wanted to get hands on. It's his money. That's fair enough. But um, that's a kind of typical story that you hear, though, isn't it? With investors, when things aren't starting yeah. to go great, right, they say, "Oh, hang on a second, I can come in here." And yeah, they, he, they, he didn't know anything about it. Or yeah, they forget why they're bankrolling other people. Yeah, in the first well, place, like. to be honest, um, I'll give you one example. Um, I had a very good lad working for me that night doing security, and there was guys dealing drugs in clubs, like happens in every club, and he threw them out. And when he left, a lot of the lads taking drugs were leaving. So this investor came to him. He was there that night. Just, just I think he just came up that night. I don't even know. Like He's not as if he was partying or anything. He's just up looking at his investment, you could say. Yeah. And he's like, where are all them lads going? I said, well, oh, we fucked out the drug dealer there. You know, should look the fucking state of the jacks. There's people off the head. There's lads killing each other out there. <laughs> I said, like, this is fucking crazy, you know. And he's like, uh, what you kick him out for? Paying customers. He said, they're fucking spending money at the bar which we want and I said yeah but who has to deal with this shit I said our bouncer at the time our head bouncer I was getting threatened a knife was pulled on him at the door that night um, he ejected a few people inside for threatening people not to him but other people with bottles um, and to prove him right in the end that night a drug dealer from Navin came back to the door of the club that night and produced a knife out the window of his car and said, you're fucking dead after your shift. Who do you think you are kicking us out? You know, this is the shit you're dealing with in these venues, you know? Yeah. And the investor didn't give a shit. I was like, well, look, that man has to live. You know what I mean? He's local. He's a great bouncer. It's a fucking job, like. But to him, right, he done his job. Yeah. And now you're saying he shouldn't do his job. And now you're saying he has to, you're not going to be the one to deal with the shit that comes with letting the boys get off their head basically all night in the venue. You're going to expect him to jump in and put his life at risk for you to make a few extra quid at the bar, I said, you're having a fucking laugh, you know? So that was one, that was just kind of start at the end of that relationship a little bit with him because uh, I, I fucking was really pissed off that night. But anyway, that was grand. So things were going the way they are going and then I think he decided, look, this is where all the money is, the dance thing. And I was like, right, you can have it, you know, that kind of way. Yeah. So I jumped ship anyway. But uh, before all that, I was working with him in that security job anyway. So um, the bandwagon, right, got right back to the start. Yeah. Um, the bandwagon was part of the profile as well actually turned out to be our probably our biggest thing like you're talking every video was averaging 10-15 thousand views in a weekend you know it Savage. ended up like we've massive acts there Damon Dempsey Lisa Hannigan Steve Wickham there's loads of big names on like and you're talking 40-50 thousand views it was fucking it was phenomenal how it took off you know but was there was there money in it though there was and there wasn't so there was no money in the start it was just funded by ourselves and then so this is before podcasts or anything, right? So the, I think at the the time, the biggest thing was that Balcony TV. I don't know if you remember that. I do. So it was pretty cool. Um, shout out to them lads. Fair play to them. But, uh, is that still on the go? I don't know. He franchised it worldwide. And oh, fuck. Yeah, he done big things with it. Fair play to him. Um, and to be honest, I got inspiration from it. I didn't copy it as such. You know, if anyone sees the videos, no, we didn't copy it. But it was like, right, there's a gap there. His, his thing was fine, but people had to come to Dublin to go to his balcony to record the video yeah and there was obviously um interference outside it was on a balcony it was windy it was so it wasn't a controlled environment where i was like no you need to have somewhere to come do a proper video a proper kind of interview and you know that kind of thing so we're racking our heads how can we promote the music how can we promote the bands blah blah so then we came up with this idea we do our own kind of podcast so we're banging this fucking idea back and forth and uh we're like right podcast scramble we need to people need to see the bands you know you need a video MTV you know what I mean taking inspiration from that so yeah. that was grand so then we're thinking venues we do it in the venue Ugh, it's a bit stale it's like the other thing then people just have to come to us the whole time so in the end I was doing the security job and one of my jobs was um, basically 
one area was like so working for the council. So you have um the travellers, um anything anyone living in the council house basically. So ba- like so if you, if someone gets a council house, um they move into a blah blah there's conditions of getting the house. But travellers used to get the house and move like two or three caravans into the driveway and there'd be pandemonium, there'd be seven generations living in the fucking driveway you know break, what I mean break the uh, T's and C's basically yeah, the, the so, agreement or whatever it so is so we'd be called in and we'd have to serve notice on them and ask them to leave you know and needless to say they never wanted to fucking leave and those issues and then then the council would pay you'd have to go and you'd have to tow the caravan out and they'd be impounded and if they wanted it back they'd have to pay for it and there was loads of issues with it um, we could go on and on and on now just I want to say I, I did that job but I've actually loads of traveller friends so um, these these were just um, these were just some families that looked Love to make the system when you think it's ah, look, they're, they're in every community. Do you yeah, know now to be honest, some of them aren't, they weren't all travellers. Like, um, how the bandwagon started was I got a caravan actually. Um, I we went in, done an, I say, would you call it an eviction? We towed the caravan out basically, and the family were saying, Oh, we're not taking it back, he's gonna stick it up your hole, blah blah blah. So the thing is, kept in, in stores, I think it's they have a couple of weeks to come back and pay for it and pound fees okay. and get back, but this family never came back. So I was thinking, right, we need a venue, we need a venue. And then it, <laughs> it just clicked with me. I said I said on the phone to Sean, like, I can get a fucking caravan. There's fucking hundreds of them sitting in the pound above in Dublin City Council or wherever it was. And he's like, a fucking caravan? I said, yeah, think about it. We get the caravan, we do it up, we can travel, we can go to any venue. See, we are good friends at other venues. We can go to other venues when they've got axe on that night. Yeah. We can park out in the venue. Like, get the, see, I wanted all the small names in, but in order to get them exposure, you have to get big names. Yeah. People won't just come and look at your podcast um, or your videos if it's just a Joe Soap from now. I've never heard of them. Yeah, absolutely. But for example, we put Damien Dempsey on. All our videos skyrocket up. You put on Lisa Hannigan. Out, like, people see her and they say, oh, what are they about? What are they about? And next minute, everyone is benefiting from just it. Just raises your profile. Yeah, so it was great. So we went to the venues where they were playing. Pre-arranged with the managers and everything beforehand, you know, it was all legit. It's hundred percent. They actually loved the idea. Everyone loved it. Like, and actually, the major acts then spread the idea and it spread and spread. Then all the music festivals contacted us, so we done fucking we done down electric picnic. We done every festival in the country nearly. We were backstage, yeah. so the acts are playing on stage and when they're finished, they come in and we'd interview them and they play an acoustic song in the caravan. Now, in the meantime, the caravan now I got from the traveller family was not in good shape. So there was fucking blood in the walls. There was fucking Jesus. ah look. So in the end, I got the whole thing. Renovated it, reinsulated it. Um, big shout actually to Shane Monahan. I don't know if you know Shane Monahan. Um, can't say do I found uh, old neighbour of mine. He's a robotics engineer. Got him to wire it for me in twelve volt and the whole lot. He done a great job. Um, done the whole thing up. Looked like a studio. If you yeah. online look at, you think people are actually yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were able to travel then. So we got travelling with the bandwagon. Increased the whole profile of the thing. Views went skyrocketing. Um, that was all good. Then got approached. Um for advertising a few times um, okay. so that was fine we're negotiating with a few different people for kind of product placement for yeah. having stuff just in the shot or? no basically ads on the fucking thing okay so before it plays mm. an ad and this is before up. the big YouTube ad thing as well yes um, that wasn't as big now then you know what I mean like I'm talking 2000 and what year would that have been 2008 maybe right 2009 but anyway yeah it wasn't a big thing as it is now and they were like oh the money wasn't it was actually quite shit and you had to hear to all these terms and conditions. So the right thing didn't come along. Um, and I mean, naivety, I should have explored that a lot more because there was actually a grey market there if you had to look at it properly. But I didn't at that time because we had all the other things going on. We had ice rings going, we had concerts going. We'd fuck. <laughs> you had to set so up the zoo. The bandwagon, to be honest, set the whole thing off and then it got put in the back burner. And we didn't realise it at the time. And it's only hindsight when you look back. That, that was the best that was thing the of to, the whole thing. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, 
then only after I finished the bandwagon and it was near the end of the one before I left profile um I got a message from an Australian company um I can't think of the name now they're like Aircom over here okay and they wanted to franchise the bandwagon to Australia so that if you signed up to their say whatever um, like there's other internet providers I'll just say as well not just Aircom just to be <laughs> 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 to be fair whoever it is um, they wanted to so if you signed up to their package that you got access to these exclusive interviews so they were going to do their own bandwagon in Australia have all these major acts performing it and then if you did sign up to their package you got access to look at the videos and all that kind of shit so yeah they'd have exclusive exclusivity on this bandwagon TV idea basically yeah so it was a great idea and actually just thinking right we should be doing more of that over here but in the end in the heel of the hunt, we didn't go that way. Things got just fucking, you know, things went the way they went and it got put on the back burner. And in the end, I think um, I was left at this time and all, but Sean rang me one day and said, would I mind if we gave it, I think there was a local, a local lad wanted to take on with it, keep it going. Yeah. Um, I said, yeah, I don't give a shit about it. Anymore. I was totally out of love with the whole business at this stage, you know what I mean? So much shit had happened and I never even thought twice about the bandwagon once I left. And I said, do what you want with it, I don't care, like, you know. So realistically, I was at, uh, I was at a business thing. Where was it? In Trim Castle or something, and it was like for um, angel investors, you know. Yeah. And I got talking to these lads, and they're like, "Just tell us about your history." And I brought up bandwagon. He's like, "I totally invest in that." And I was like, "Fucking hell!" Only talking like this is. I'm talking a few years later. Like, I was like, "Jesus, I fucked that one away, didn't I?" Like, you know, that was a good one, and it could have been something more. But uh, I just let it go to your mouth. I think he's just fucked it. I don't know why he's done with it now. He's brought it to the ground or whatever. I think he wrote Carvin off and. Um, didn't keep it going, you know. But uh, but yeah, it was it was a good time. It was a great crack. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny because that that I can't I can't say it was the source of the idea for what I've had f- with bringing the podcast on the road, mm. but pro- probably in there somewhere. Do you know that kind of way? Mm. But I have a van for my deliveries, mm. so an ideal setup for me will be instead of dragging people to here. Like I've I've gone out and interviewed people or had conversations with people, bring the the mics and the laptop and that two places. Yeah. But what would be perfect would be for me to have a refrigerated van because my van isn't refrigerated. Oh yeah. And I can get away with it not being refrigerated because I do my deliveries at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So I can load up the van and it may as well be a fridge at night yeah, even during yeah. the summer. It's grand for the hour it takes me to get to Dublin. But ideally it would be a, a insulated van which would double as a, almost a, a soundproofing, hmm. brand the whole outside of it and have basically, a, I know, some sort of a foldable setup with chairs and a table and the mics and maybe a, a curtain that you could pull around to help yeah. with the sound and whatever yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. The idea being that I could drive to somebody's home and you could do it in the fucking... Hmm either in the driveway of their house or in a local car park or yeah, you know, it's so easy to do or even like. the gigs the same the same idea if you wanted to uh, have a conversation with the lead singer of a band or whatever you could pull up outside mm. his hotel you could go to the venue he's playing at oh, whatever yeah. it's very similar but you could of, even hit people up that you're interested in talking to um, I know myself just from shooting off an email thinking no one will reply if you've seen someone coming to Ireland and they're doing something I'm not some even think, speaking event or anything. A speaking event, I yeah. was thinking for yeah. you, like or someone interesting you just wanted to talk to. Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. could chance and shoot them off an email and say, "Look, this is what I'm all about. Would you come? I'll come to you. Like it'll just be your time." And you'd be surprised. Some people are like, "Oh yeah," but it, it, the only reason I haven't reached out to people is because I hadn't a few things done, which I'm after getting sorted mm. in the last, literally in the last week. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't on iTunes. I wasn't on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had an Acast sorted, so I'm on pretty much all the platforms now. I have the YouTube channel. Uh, I, w- I would like to get a website up and running, but 
I'm not I'm not overly fussed on that. I think oh, it's a very formality thing. It's just a thing. You don't really need a website. Really. No, I, I wouldn't have thought so. No. I, I like the idea of it, but yeah. look, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go down that yeah, route keep it anytime simple. soon. Keep it simple. But now that I've everything set up, I feel I feel like in a better position that I can start reaching out to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a pure coincidence, which actually brings me back into something I wanted to ask yourself. Uh, I uploaded a video there the other day and Roger Dardis that you'd know the yeah. Brazilian Jiu Jitsu Roger had on. Yeah, yeah. Love Roger. Yeah, he's a sound lad. Oh, yeah. Roger Dardis. Roger Dardis. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he commented on the video and he tagged Andy Ryan in it. Yes. And Andy Ryan said, commented on his comment saying, you know, mad cunts or whatever. And I just commented, Jesus, Andy, you know, we've never met, but yeah. you'd be, I like you'd be Andy. a great Andy's guest. a great man too, yeah. Yeah, apparently so. I've never met him now. Yeah, but I like, trained up there for a little while. That's right, yeah, yeah, which, yeah. Which is what I was going to say there. Yeah, yeah. So Andy's agreed to come on. We haven't settled out the details, oh, but no better, man. myself and Andy will sit down and oh, have a chat. Oh, man, he, he's a funny man. But, uh, <laughs> Andy's the head coach in Team Rhino. Team Rhino, yeah. So I suppose between himself and John Cavanagh, they basically started MMA in Ireland back Pretty in much, the day. Pretty much, yeah. You, you could say that, yeah, definitely, yeah. Which, as I was saying, kind of sidelines it back round to yourself. Mm. Between... The ice rink and the zoo mm. and the log cabins and the music business and all the fucking rest of it. When did you start training in MMA? Right, that's a good question. Right, so MMA proper, like, is obviously different, right? So I done boxing when I was a kid. Okay. And when you say a kid, like, under what? Like, or what age would you oh, have been? I was eight, nine, ten. Okay. Eleven. Um, then I got into GA. GA was my big thing. I played up to mid-minor level. Like, played, oh, GA mad, like. So that took over my life. But what position is a matter of interest? Me, well, I played half back and half forward. Okay, so I switched around. Depending, you know, wouldn't be like you to be stuck in a, you know, no. as as goalie or something. You'd have no. to be in a position. You'd be moving around. Yeah, like. and it was interesting too. Um, more local politics. I started my career. You would say with O'Mahony's. Okay, uh, my grandfather was a major thing in O'Mahony's. What did you mean the Parnells in the day? Right. Um, before O'Mahony's was O'Mahony's, and um. I, I just have a family ties to Manny. So I started on Manny's under eights and that was grand. Loved it. And then I went to St. Oliver's School. Um, where I think we probably would have met originally, was it? You were in Ollie's too, weren't you? Yeah, well, I did seventh in Ollie's. Yeah, yeah. that's right, yeah. Um, anyway, went to, uh, yeah, went to Ollie's and there's principal at times, you know, John Howard. I do. Massive driving force behind Simonstown. That's right, yeah. I set um, up the crash that my young lad goes to. Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah even yeah. before all that, going way back, sure, John was the chairman, the man, you know, even through the good time John I think had the vision to bring it to where it is today you know but John yeah nice man 100% he was the principal in the school called me down to the office one day now I'm I'm talking I'm only a kid like in primary school you know like what age was I 10 or 11 I don't know and um, called me down to the office one day and I was like oh fuck right you know what what's in trouble because like, I, I was regularly in the office <laughs> <laughs> went in and he asked me to sit down he goes uh a senior going for the school team and I said yeah yeah and he goes yeah yeah you're a pretty good footballer blah 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 um, I was one of the rare people I was on the school team in primary school three years in a row so you can imagine how small it was I was fourth, fifth and sixth yeah so yeah. it doesn't really happen too often but uh, I think it was in four class at the time I was the sub actually the first year but I was on the panel you know that kind of way it's a big deal when you're in fucking four yeah so. it was pretty cool but um, John was selling it to me like you know licking me arse you know when I look back at it and like Simon's Town's right beside your house only out the road <laughs> and would you ever just play for Simon's Town and this that and the other and like all your classmates are out there and sure my classmates were out there you know I, I was lucky I grew up in Avon by both sides of the town so I'm from Severlands 
my family originally from Granny Towers. I played for Matney's, so I knew all that end of the town. Then I was from Silverlands, went to school in St. Oliver's. Right, I lived in St. Paul's. I hung around Black Castle, Closco Park. So I had both ends of the town. Like I, I was lucky, I had friends in all ends of the town. But I was kind of similar because Pat O'Reilly, uh, yeah. the last guest, he would have grown up on Bruce Hill. That's so right. that had me hanging around the Matney's end of things, but then went to yeah. school in Ollie's, which was a Simonstown and things. And it's nice to have yeah, both sides. It like. is, it's pretty cool. But then he sold it to me about all my schoolmates being in fucking... Simonstown, yeah, of course. So. Anyway, like the young naive person I was, I jumped ship, went out to play for Simonstown. Um, anyone who's playing out there will know the history there anyway. <laughs> I, I had some good games. I had some. I, I would have been known for my uh, temper when I was younger. <laughs> uh, Never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Short, short fuse that time, but um. Ah, never in a too bad of way, like you know. What yeah, I mean? yeah. In the on the football pitch, you know what yeah. I mean. Not like I had to walk down the street, just fucking go mad around. Like. But uh, I, I was so into the football, like I'm, it was everything to me. Like so, I would have just, I would have given me life for the football team at the time. You know that kind of way. I was that, yeah. I was that obsessed with football. But um, yeah, Simonstown were good days. And then I left Simonstown. I started working, I think, and I missed O'Matney's. Like I, I'm still in friends with lads. Then I know. Do you know what happened? My granddad passed away, and. It just got me thinking about my family history and all that again. I was like, I'd love to fucking go back and play for O'Matney's because he was one of the original people there. And, you know, it just brings it all back to you. So I end up getting a transfer from Simonstown to O'Matney's. Now that, and this is what, under 10s or 13s or older? Or? 15s or 16s. Okay, probably. okay. And that was a saga. Oh, would you stop? Jesus Christ. It took a year. You swear, <laughs> swear I was fucking Ronaldinho. <laughs> Now let's just make the record right. I was not that good, like you know what I mean. I Which was, it's the it's the principle was, of the matter. I was decent, but I wasn't great. And you would swear the shite that I had to go through for a young lad to play football, you know, it was unbelievable. You know, they couldn't just say right, let him go. But uh, yeah, that was the crack with John Howard out in um, Simons and Simonstown. Yeah. Simonstown, you know. But where were we going before then? MMA. Oh, back to MMA. Yeah, started again to MMA. So yeah, I was doing all my football. Football took over my life. Um, but then. I started working for a chap um, just before I started with Donald, actually. Okay. Out here doing carpentry. I was a cabinet maker. I couldn't get a carpentry apprenticeship anywhere. And uh, I was leaving school. I was 15. You can imagine what my mother was thinking. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, in the end, she gave in and said, if you get a fucking job, you can leave. You know what I mean? That's how she just yeah. get a job and you can leave. So, that had no problem. I was working since I was 12 anyway. I worked for my father. I worked for, I actually worked out here in Kilberry picking or stacking turf and doing stuff. My cousins were out this way, you know? Yeah. So, I had no issue working at all. Like, I'd been working my whole life. So, I said, I'll get a fucking job, prove you wrong. So, what do you want to be? I said, well, I always wanted to be a carpenter. Like, I've always been fascinated with carpentry and woodworking. So, what did I do? I approached loads of people. I couldn't, there was actually no apprenticeships available at the time. So, I ended up taking a fucking plumbing job. Now, it turned out to be great because I learned a bit of plumbing, but I fucking hated it, man. Oh, I couldn't do plumbing. Hated it. I was actually quite good at it, but I hated it. So, in the end, this cabinet-making job came up. So, I took it. So, cabinet-makers would be, you know, kitchens, wardrobes, kitchens, that kind wardrobe, of stuff. Kitchens, wardrobes, furniture, furniture yeah. custom furniture. So, I actually enjoyed it now. But you're inside a lot in a fucking factory, which drives me nuts being stuck there all the time, you know. Yeah. So Which is, at the start, it's all great, but then it wears on you. So, um, I was with him for a good while. And... Um, he teached the Irish karate team. Okay. Right, so Oliver Carlin was his name. People probably know him. And um started doing a bit of karate with Oliver. Um, totally different to boxing, obviously. Different to everything. I thought because I was on the boxing, I just take the karate. Not at all. Totally different moving, yeah. foot moving, hand moving. So i uh, done a bit of that, enjoyed it. 
obviously he was always pushing you come on out for another session I never had any interest in getting into Cry I was never into the whole kind of fucking I loved the films and all but I was never into the whole every time I tried uh, like I tried Cry I tried everything but it always you know when you start anything you have to work your way into it yeah. I thought I'd go to fucking Cry and I'd be doing spinning kicks coming out the door like. <laughs> you know as a kid that's what you think you know you think right here I go but uh, it didn't happen like that I was quite fucking boring and Cry the traditional Cry you have to do all your like you have to you know you're rehearsed um Wax on, on, wax off, kind or whatever of called. Yeah, and just fucking used to drive me mad. So I can't even dance. Never mind fucking rehearse these things. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was like dancing to me, and uh, fucking hated it. But anyway, left that for a while. Went went working with Don Lowe here, done my carpentry, and then I always I done a bit of boxing every now and again. Um, but then I I found the UFC. Um, I think it was two thousand and four, right? Two thousand three. Um, on Bravo Bravo done a thing where they took on UFC the, yeah. the TV channel it used to be channel 123 I always remember because I used to go 123 fucking UFC was on you know and I used to stay up all night watching this fucking UFC I became addicted and who would have been the, Ken Shamrock Ken type, Shamrock yeah. would have been in it uh, Rich Franklin yes um, Rich Franklin was my hero still is my hero to this day Rich Franklin really yeah met the man twice oh, I love Rich Franklin Rich, what's the fucking name Ace Ace Rich Franklin yeah, yeah. he was middleweight champion yeah. Um. When I when I started watching it, um, then Randy Couture was yeah. at all weight levels. I'm sure he fucking <laughs> he dropped a featherweight to fight McGregor if he wanted it. For he was light heavyweight champion when I started watching it. Um, I met him. He's not that big a dude. No, like, and man, he's crazy. He, he was a middleweight champion as well. And the big thing when I started watching it was there's a massive thing going on between Tito Ortiz and Chuck Liddell. Yes. Um, yes. I don't, the, was it the Iceman? New fans and the fucking, remember this. The Iceman and what was the. the was Huntington Beach bad boy. That's what he was. Yeah. Hilarious. So Tito, Hilarious. Tito would have been the original bad boy. Bad boy. Yeah. Before yeah, Connor yeah. even was born. <laughs> and I fucking loved this. And Chuck was just a badass <laughs> motherfucker, man. Do you know he used to paint his toenails? Yeah, he used to watch it. Yeah, yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. Hilarious. And like Chuck was brilliant. Chuck was, I think, he's a fifth Dan in Kempo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fascinated by the man. Like, obviously, when you get into it, and you start just studying and studying. But I was watching all this stuff, right? Now, I didn't know if you were into it at the time or not. I, I would have known you, but I was always saying it to people, and everyone was like, What are you fucking on about? Like, I was like, Fucking UFC, martial arts, and you tell yeah. me, Oh, wrestling. No, it's not fucking wrestling. It's this is stuff in a cage, boys are killing each other. And then they'd be always on about, like, obviously, John Claude Van Damme would come in, and the film course, stuff yeah, would come in. Yeah. Like, no, no, it's not like that. That it was fake, that it was fake. Yeah, it, it's all blah, blah, blah. I was like, No, you haven't got the point. Yeah. So at the, at the time, um, actually, do you know what? It caught me eye one night. I was flicking and I found it obviously and then I used to love Fear Factor oh, Joe Rogan. and Joe Rogan was commentating <laughs> and I was like I know that fucking voice you know what I mean yeah, that sucked yeah, me yeah. in but to be honest I learned loads about MMA just them early years watching it and Joe was very good at explaining what was going on even back then back yeah. then he was actually probably better than he is now yeah because um, he he, ha- he really had to explain yeah, it to everyone and it yeah. wasn't as corporate as it is now you know what I mean yes of course he had more freedom to do what he wanted and he was fucking great but I learned so much from it but uh Got into Joe Rogan and that's a whole other story. But yeah, got into it all, loved all the fighters, got to watch him. 2006 came and uh, obviously I was working whatever doing was doing but I seen um, the advertised one night when I was watching the UFC that they were coming to Belfast. Yeah. And who was headlining? Rich Ace Franklin. My fucking hero like. So like, no fucking way. Um, I forget who he was fighting. Ogami or someone. Um, the, remember the Ogami the, I think he was Japanese Yoshi Ogami yes yes and he was a beast too but middleweight anyway but uh, so 2006 uh, right got two tickets online 
fucking joined up to everything, made sure I was going to get there. I was in the Odyssey in Belfast. So I went looking for something. I had two tickets and I bought and paid for them all. Couldn't get anyone to come with me. Hilarious. This is no lie. This was 2006. So I was like, well, fuck you then. You know what I mean? So I ended up bringing my business partner at the time. As I said, my business partner at the time, that fellow was, he was in his 40s, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But um, he never heard of fighting or anything like it. This fellow was some Dundalk. He's a farmer and a carpenter. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I brought him up to the UFC. Jesus Christ. He was, ho- <laughs> he was holding my hand during it. Oh, it's hilarious. But, uh, Fell that I was there watching it and I, f- I fell even more in love with the whole Yeah, when sport. you see it in person, yeah, yeah. Um, it's incredible to watch on the telly, but with being there, it was absolutely incredible. It blew me mind, like, and uh, and like I knew a lot about it at the time. Like, um, who else was there that day? There was loads of great fighters there. I think Diego Sanchez was there. There was someone, there's a few other big names there in Belfast, and anyway, it was a fucking great night. And they were so accessible, like, so you could go up and meet all these fighters at the end of it, like, you know, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Got to meet my hero, Rich Franklin. What a legend of a man. Like, and did you meet him just in like the I, pub after or like no, or what? Like I went down to the barrier after the fight and uh he came back out after getting changed or whatever he'd done. Yeah. He actually had a tough fight. I think it was a unanimous decision when it was a tough fucking fight. But um he won that. And um yeah, it was that one, yeah. He won that one and came back out in the whole lot and met people. I'm just chatting shooting the breeze like sound chap but I was following him he's this thing called American Fighter um, he had a whole brand of clothes he's big into nutrition he's big into everything he's his own businesses he's huge business going on in America like um, all built from being in the US so he's one of the first to kind of put the business end of things with the MMA end of things he was the first uh, no disrespect to anyone else that was fighting at the time but he was the first kind of smart fighter was he mm. Rich Franklin a lot of people don't know was a maths teacher yeah but that's, that's what I mean mm. like the UFC I think a lot of me heads gravitated to it they did yeah yeah a lot of me heads did gravitate to it yeah but, you but, see them there screaming he, when you're at the fucking thing and you don't know what's going on that, yeah, yeah. but even the fighters though do you know that kind of way it was a kind of a you got lads trying their arm I think didn't you like because you, it was so new I suppose like the whole when I first got into UFC it was all about what discipline you're into it wasn't like mixed the way it is now yes of course and it was more like, like to be honest wrestlers fucking dominated the fucking thing yeah. for a brief period strikers did dominate but then like obviously strikers can you know knock you out whenever they want whatever. yeah but as soon as a wrestler, wrestler has their time and they're got used yeah. to a bit of striking and lucky enough when I started watching I was on my own it was late at night um, I forget where we were even but probably home my house whatever it was but I was able to listen to I knew fuck all about wrestling at this time but Joe Rogan broke it down and explained it so well I became fascinated by wrestling like fascinated by it still am to this day Yeah. and uh, so a lot of people are like oh, I'm not watching that show underground for 10 fucking minutes I'm like but look what's going on like you know yeah. the battle for position but um, I got fascinated by wrestling so um, not wrestling like WWE as people know wrestling it's a totally different <laughs> wrestling right? just to make that clear but um, so I got fascinated with the ground game and all that so yeah wrestlers dominate but a lot of people weren't into it because of that end of it they just didn't like the wrestling on the ground the jiu-jitsu they hated it they didn't understand what was going on but you look even when I started watching it at first it'd go to the ground and they'd be rolling around and the next minute it'd be over and you're like, mm. I, I, I literally remember sitting there watching it with my mates kind of going anyone know why yeah, that, yeah. he won or didn't win or what the fuck like, yeah but I was fascinated by this anyway so then that went on and I said to myself that and I do when you're sitting there I said I'm going to fucking do this I just did and I said it to John this fellow was with me and he's like yeah and your fucking ass going to do that like, <laughs> I said I'm fucking telling you I said that's like you know I, I can do this like you know so uh, I looked for a club and funnily enough for a year this is going to be my I never said it to him but um, he'll probably be on Andy Ryan looked up clubs and Team Rhino came up on the internet 
and I got busy and work. Oh shit! Started hitting the fan and work. Actually, it was all the things went the way they went. The recession hit. Blah blah blah. I hadn't the money for training. Then team I know was in Dublin. I was yep. in no position to drive up and all. So I had to kind of put that whole thing in the back burner. There was no clubs in Navan like or even heard of nearby. Um, so there was no clubs nationally. Was no, that? I think you'd SBG, Team Rhino. And that was more or less it. Actually, Rush, Paul Kowser was always going oh, well in Rush. Oh, yes. Cocoro would have uh, been there, I suppose. Cocoro would have been there with... Um, Shane Thomas. Shane Thomas and Dara then, yeah, eventually, yeah. yeah. And then, actually, there was another one. Um, oh, out in Bray. Lovely man. Legends. Legends run by... He ran the oh, Man Stephen. of War. Stefan. Yeah, Stefan, yeah. the legend. Another. Is it Moriarty? Yeah, Stefan Moriarty. A Lovely gent- fella. Gentleman. Yes, yes. Um, so and in a way Stefan gave me my first break in MA which we'll talk about again but um, yeah so couldn't find a club at the time nearby it was too far to go to Dunbar money was gone all that shit but um, yeah so at the time then shit went the way it went and the, the music thing stopped and I had a bit of time and to be honest I was drinking a bit and all that as well and I said fuck this drink shit gave it all up um, I needed something to focus on you know yeah so I fucking got talking to a few people online. I was near, I was actually going to go to Team Rhino and I got an email from a fella, um, you know, Keith Cooper. Yeah. I was talking to him on Facebook or something and he's he lived in America and he was coming home. He was over there teaching control and restraint or something. He was, I think he was only a blue belt at the time. And he was in New York, wasn't he? Yeah. And I think his marriage broke up over there and everything. He was coming home anyway and he was starting up a club in Swords. So I was like, oh, right, that's pretty cool. I knew Keith from just, he would have went to school with my sister. Right. So that was grand. So uh, I don't know how it came up. He must have, must have liked some of the same pages of an MMA or something. He knew he liked it anyway. But anyway, I reached out to Keith and said, when you're back, let me know. So he came back, he set up and he was set up for, I think, just on about six months. And uh, I seen then a page come up. He had this club in Swords called Swords Fight Club. I was like, the fucking bollocks never get back to me. So I got on to Keith. He said, oh, yeah, come up. So at the time then, I was in a better position. I had a car. I was under myself again and able to drive. So I drove Swords. It was handy up the back way, up the airport way and all that. So I went up to Swords first night and uh, I'd never done jiu-jitsu. Now, I knew I could strike from other things. Obviously, that's a security job. <laughs> <laughs> and a few other things I knew I could strike. I was always pretty good at strike. I, like, But... um. Yeah, I went in and the boys were doing jiu-jitsu that night. I'd only ever watched jiu-jitsu and until you put your hands on jiu-jitsu, watching is not the same as you know. It's really not, no. And I went in there and I'm not joking you, I fucking, I got thrown around the place. Of course. Um, By lads that were only at, I think they were only at the six months show, they only started. Yeah. Um, Keith was obviously, I think he was only blue belt, he was a blue belt at the time and um, Keith fucking controlled me in positions I've never felt and I just felt helpless. Yeah, helpless and looking back now as helpless against a blue belt yeah but I felt totally and utterly helpless and I fucking loved it and I was like fuck me how can you do this to someone how can you control someone like that you know and so I went away and I came home and this will probably tell you this is my wife I came home with the biggest fucking smile on my face. <laughs> and she's like, what is... And for people who don't know, uh, you'd have a good few pounds on Keith. Size-wise, like. Oh, yeah. Well, at the time, yeah. At the time, I would have. I say he's pounds of me now, looking at pictures of him, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> but you know... At the time, get... I would have. At the time, to be honest, at the time... Actually, I fell into the whole gym weights thing. Right. I've always went to the gym. That's another thing. So I've always, it's not as if I fell into them. I've always been fit. Yes. I've always done the gym. I've always been doing me a bit of boxing. I've always been keeping fit. Do you know what I mean? Running weights. But I bloomed to about 98 kilos. 96 kilos at my heaviest. Right. Lean at that. Not as lean as... Looking back now, no, I wasn't lean. I thought I was lean, but... Yeah, I was... I suppose yeah, but you weren't fucking fat at that No, I was probably about 22% body fat. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. 
which and like I couldn't wear fucking jeans for a while that's how big my legs got you know yeah, yeah. so uh, Alyssa hated it um, so I went the first night to that and I was quite heavy there that night yeah I would have had weight on everyone nearly to be honest that night when I went in yeah but still you were I, you know, I never considered myself big but when you start having me and you see the weight class and all quickly you realise shit you're in that bracket <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah so uh, yeah I was quite big that night and yeah and he, he dominated me and I would have had as you said probably 10 kilos on him you know what yeah. I mean so um, dominated me destroyed me Went home, loved it. I fucking, uh, as anyone doesn't know, you wear a gi doing jiu-jitsu, it's the name of the garment you wear. Um, some people find that very funny. But <laughs> I had a thing called gi rash all over my face that night. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not an STD. <laughs> but I was caught, the whole side of my face was fucking burnt. You know when you get the shoulder in for control? You have to condition to it, like, you know, Keith you don't get was that was obviously after. driving that shoulder into me for the night, like, teaching yeah. me a lesson. Just yeah, being, yeah. So I gear rash all over the I think it was the right hand side of my face I was like fucking bastard but uh, it's like how could you be so happy in the state you're like <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was grand so I went back um, I was out of work for a while in between jobs doing that bit of security doing other things and um, I kept the thing going so I was able to train I was training two or three times a day I fuck it. after two weeks I just got stuck into it um, I got really good at jiu-jitsu pretty quick I'm lucky um, once I got the fundamentals down the techniques came to me so I was quite lucky um, yeah so I got going rolling I ended up holding my own I ended up I don't know don't be blowing my trumpet but I ended up kind of being one of the best grapplers there yeah because um, I, I never grappled before um, I started doing seminars with different people coming over I loved it I just got engrossed in the world of jiu-jitsu so much so that I think I neglected my striking and in hindsight looking back now I did I totally neglected my striking but um, fell in love with jiu-jitsu started doing tournaments um, I won all my tournaments I ever entered um, I, might, I think yeah jiu-jitsu wise I, I don't I, I might have lost one maybe yeah I'd done all the competitions in Ireland Belfast went up on that um, just fucking it clicked with me like fuck, and just took over my whole life <laughs> consumed yeah, me yeah it tends to do that to people yeah and this is before like it's as popular as it is now as such of course yeah um, so I was trying to get people to fucking join jiu-jitsu but in the heel of the hunt Keith was grand but Keith, Keith was in swords um, Keith's not a great businessman as such and Swords was struggling when it shouldn't have been because he had a whole area there in Swords fucking massive area there yeah people, big like. uh, population yeah, too big so catchment area we got chatting one night and I was saying to Keith Navin hasn't got an MMA club Hasn't got a gym, has nothing. I said, I I I know people in Avon. I'm sure they'll come to give it a try just for me. Um, you're from Avon originally, Slane area. Sure, you'll get heads up. So I said, why not do something? We go to Navin. He's like, well, look, I haven't got funds. But I said, look, I'll come in and you it, um, get it going. So we, I found a unit in Avon. We joined our money together, our own pockets, and bought mats. Um, got mats. So that's all we had starting was mats in the fucking premises. You know what yeah. I mean? Um actually before we came we got mats and all we're getting ready for it. we done a night in the palace um, on the dance floor upstairs just to test out see how many people would turn up I, I was quite friendly with the lads in the palace and uh, the owner I, I never go to the palace much or drink I actually didn't even drink at the time but um, the boys let me use the dance floor upstairs one night and Keith came and he'd done a self-defense workshop and he finished it with jiu-jitsu so everyone turned up we lost all kinds of girls boys men women everyone there and a lot of people liked it. I don't know if it was for everybody, but when we opened the club, people knew we were coming before that. So the first night the club opened, it was packed. Yeah. It was great. It was actually a great idea just to do something like that before that. Club was packed. So myself and Keith partnered up and the club got it going. Um, and I keep saying club because it wasn't a business. So I wanted to start a club. I didn't want another business. I was fucking pissed off a of business at this day. I was after doing how many years in businesses and 
Uh, I said, oh, we'll do a club. Like I, I knew of other MMA clubs, but I said, we'll keep it a club. We'll membership, we'll sign up, blah, we'll keep a club for them. So that was grand. Set it up as a club. It was going great. Um, Then no one in the club obviously had ever had a fight. Now, looking back now, I have issues with this with other clubs as well. But I said I'd take a fight because someone had to fucking have fighting experience in the club, you know? Yeah. This is after winning out the jiu-jitsu competitions and... I was holding my own strike and I was sparring around the place um, with different people and actually, I don't know, Paddy Daly, I don't know if you ever met him. Um, I think so. He was in the army at the time. Um, I think he's his own boxing club now, St. Bernadette's up in Santry, big shout out to Paddy, excellent club. He has All-Ireland champions and everything coming out of there now. Um, I um, Paddy was doing this boxing thing with the army and everything as well. So I used to train a lot with Paddy. So I knew my hands were all right because Paddy was a really good boxer. Yeah. And I used to spar with Paddy a lot and to be honest like he was catching me I was catching but I knew my hands were not bad because I was able to I was doing alright with Paddy so I said fuck I'm going to take a fight then just to get on the just to get on the map really and had you not fought out of, out of swords like swords fight club yeah sorry this is before just before we came to Navin yeah sorry I was yeah, thinking yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah. Yeah. so just before we opened the Navin club I had to fight um I might have two fights, did I? I might have one anyway, but uh, yeah, so I was looking for a fight. Man of War was a big thing in Ireland at the minute, which goes back to Stefan Moriarty. Yeah. Very well ran event, very respectful man. Yeah, it's, it's where I fought out of, yeah. Superman, and uh, contacted him. There was no event coming up at the time I wanted, but he booked me in for the next one. But in between that, I met Paul Kowser from Rush. Um, gentleman again, can't say enough good things about Paul. Um, and Paul had a thing, had a fight night in Rush every, yeah. every few months. And uh, he said, "Yeah, sure, I'll give you a start." So, um, you know, this is before things are the way they are now. It wasn't. Yeah, this is like a, a, a community hall type setup. Yeah, wasn't it? battle zone esque type type. Well, it wasn't even as good as battle zone. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. And you're talking rough and ready now. And the rules, like now, they have shin guards and they have bigger like gloves and all. At the time, that would have been what C class was it? So it was C class, like semi pro kind of rules. They used to call it C class. Now it was every, it was exactly the same as professional, but you couldn't elbow. Yes. So there was no difference, and you had eight ounce gloves instead of four. Yes, that was the only difference. Like, but now it's totally changed, which is for the better because amateurs starting off shouldn't be fucked in at the deep end like that. Really, yeah, like we were, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know, when you think about it, but uh, should that never cross my mind? So I got paired against um, fighting this lad anyway, and um, um, Jesus Christ, man, um, one of the Lawrences from Rush, not Paul, his brother. Sorry, I can't think of his name now. Paul's another excellent fighter people should check him out boys fighting his brother um, it's two great fighters them Lawrence boys but uh, I went and I had to I was fighting at middleweight so I was 94 kilos or 96 whatever it was at the time and I said look I can't fight light heavyweight <laughs> uh, as big as it was light heavyweight as you know them boys are 94 kilos but they're really 100 kilos you know what I mean they're fucking huge oh, so and the rest yeah I was like no way am I going light heavyweight so I decided I'm going to have to cut 10 kilos so I changed my training uh, and credit to Keith he had, Keith is actually a personal fitness trainer as well so he helped me we tailored a plan I lost it really easy actually because I was obviously carrying a lot of muscle so it was easy to cut down to that weight you know what I mean so I cut to 84 I actually cut to 88 and I cut the last 4 kilos then before the fight and went to my first ever way and fucking you know I stared your man out and yeah, actually I had yeah. to go to his club because it was in rush drove to rush for the way and eyeballed me man out of it fucking loved every minute of it like you know just the blood was coursing through your vein I can't describe it to anyone who's never fought but the weigh-ins are nearly better than the fight yeah yeah you in know? a way yeah I can yeah, see yeah. you have to cut mate you're after training so hard you don't really know who you're fighting yet you yeah. haven't fucking had eyes on you them. get eyeballs in the yeah. coach <laughs> so I suppose the buzz was unbelievable and like obviously I've been in a few scraps of my time you know what I mean so yeah, yeah. I knew I was like the scrapper I never knew like 
that man was training to fucking beat me and I was training to beat him you know it was it was a battle of skill it wasn't just rough and ready and you know that kind of thing so although you respected him you just wanted to fuck them up like you know what I mean in your head that's what you're thinking but but you know that's what he's thinking yeah but that was my first fight my, my attitude totally changed after but I went into that fight anyway all my family were there none of my family like fighting my wife hates fighting she was there some of her mates came my mother and father came like you know all not big fight fans at all after that night I beat you man in 2 minutes 30 seconds with a triangle choke nice arm in triangle on the ground and actually yeah I caught him with a flying knee at the very start and broke his nose straight away um, and then I could have finished with strikes looking back but I took him to the ground I said I was addicted to juice <laughs> I yeah, was determined yeah. to get a fucking submission because I never had an MMA fight before and I was after doing well in the jiu-jitsu but got the arm in and uh, choked him out fucking the adrenaline but as you know oh, best feeling in the world eh? no and this was just uh, I'm fucking addicted now I thought I loved MMA before that <laughs> do you know what I mean it's like having kids you think you know what love is and you think you, you're going to love your child but when the child is born in your arms it's undescribable it's a bit like that with MMA I thought I loved MMA but when I actually went in and competed and won yeah of course yeah I and fucking loved MMA in front of your family yeah like, it's yeah. quite funny the lad I was fighting um the Lawrence chap um, wasn't even his family it was, um, he's a traveller but um, a lot of the crowd were travellers then to see him and some of them were kind of having to go with my family after and all and lovely no but what was quite good was the, the Lawrence brothers came down and told him look what are you doing this man beat me fair and square um, we hugged we shook hands down in the crowd I'd never experienced anything like this after a fight before yeah um, class proper honour and just a lovely lovely man yeah the way it should be um, there was a few lads having to go with me going out to the car park and so he walked me out to my car we fucking embraced the whole way. We hope we talked about the fight. Yeah, he yeah. was like, your bollocks broke me nose straight away. <laughs> he said, to be honest, I was going to tap on you because I felt like I was drowning in my blood. All the blood was going down the back of my neck. <laughs> and just talking to him and I was like, this fella is sound like, who yeah. else do you do that to? And you chat to them after like that. And then he, you know, so I was like, These, this crowd over here in Russia are top notch. So loved every minute of it. Then I had my first fight at Man of War. Um, Stefan, I trained hard for that. And I knew what was coming then, you know what I mean? But my mindset changed. I never really... I wasn't out to fuck people up after that then. I thought, I, I don't know, you learn from every fight, you learn from every training camp, you learn from every training session. Yeah. But my mindset changed. I I was overhyped. I knew then, if that fight first fight had went more than the two minutes, 30 seconds, I was fucked because I would have adrenaline dumped. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I yeah. could feel it like, um, even when I was squeezing for the choke, it wasn't like normal when I was training. I'd be in tight, finished, done. I was sloppy. I was. I looked that back at my fight. I don't know how many times. I probably don't know if you looked at your own first fight, but no, no, of course. Yeah. I dissected myself. I'm very self-critical anyway in everything I do, um, and I just fucking destroyed myself. And so people saying, "Would you relax? For fuck's sake, you won the fight." I was like, no, that was fucking. If this was this and that, <laughs> so I went back to camp anyway, and uh, I actually got a lot sharper and um, got the man of war fight, fighting the middleweight again looking back bad option and to be honest Keith was learning too Keith never had a club either and uh, yeah, of course, he never, your way, yeah like. he never experienced weight cutting and um, I could have been better prepared and I'm not knocking him I'm not knocking the club or anyone he didn't know like yeah of course but uh, I wasn't cutting weight properly either but, and uh, how were you cutting just as a matter of interest I was just fucking st- I starved myself the first time right which was totally wrong second time I was nearer the weight I just fucking sat in the sauna right Literally before you the rains. You didn't do any of the super hydration or anything of like that? Not then. Okay. After that I did, but not then. I didn't know. I, I, I was just fucking going whatever way I could. But again, looking back, I, I just uh, I just felt like, now obviously he probably does do it now, but every club should be first in that. Like, you know, um, weight cutting, I have major issues with weight cutting. See, I don't think there should be weight cutting anymore. I think you should no, find I'd, I'd be, weight, I'd be on the same page um, every time. But anyway, yeah, I cut the weight for the second fight, went in, 
the man I was fighting was from Cork, a Polish fella, um, Primazal Shurgamatov or something like that. He he did a weigh-in through video. So it's only my second fight and I've never experienced this before. So I never got to eyeball him like the last one. Didn't get a feel for him. Couldn't gauge his size. It's a different thing. Now, it was done through video in, but there's like a password you have to say in the video. and So you can't fake his weight. There's loads of shit, like, which yeah. you probably could fake. Today's newspaper and a fucking all but this bullshit. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. anyway, he weighed in anyway. Um, never met him to light the fight. The fight has started and he still hadn't turned up to the venue. And I, I think I was the second last fight. And just, I'd say about an hour before we were due to fight, this Polish crew roll in. <laughs> they were all fucking massive. I never seen. Like, I'm not joking. They were definitely touching hundred kilos. Yeah. And I was like, which one am I fighting? Like, you know what I mean? I was waiting for a smaller lad to come in behind him. Yeah. yeah. No such thing. So next minute, I seen him getting introduced by uh, Stefan and blah blah, and I was kind of looking on from the corner. I was like, fuck right. So uh, my teammate actually Paddy was cornering me that my that night. Paddy done the boxing and Keith. Paddy goes out. I like he's a real naughty man, you know, funny man. He comes out, had eyes on your man there, you know, blah blah. I said, like, yeah, yeah, you're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Paddy, nice one. I was like, wait a minute, you're meant to be my coach. Like, yeah, man, you're fucked. Just go in there and do your best. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs fucking enemies? Huh? He's fucking huge. I was like, yeah, like, thanks, Paddy. That's great. So uh, I'm not joking. You, it's the first time I ever experienced nerves like that. For some reason, there's this adrenaline buzzing on me. But um, looking back, sure, I was fighting. In an hour's time, I must have went to the toilet maybe eight times in that hour. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, yeah. So anyone that says that it doesn't hit them or the fear doesn't hit them, it fucking does. Like, you know, I'm not. I'm not gonna sit there and say we well, did every fight and I loved every minute. Of it. I didn't. You shit yourself before the fight, and nearly that's what makes you do it again. <laughs> yeah. No, I think so. And it's it's not as if you like. The more you do, the easier it gets. It's almost the worst it gets. Every fight is different. Every camp is different. Every your your head is different for every fight. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Of course. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, so just to get your headspace right for each fight is different. You don't know what's happening on the day of the fight, the morning of the fight, the night before. Everything fucks and fucks with your head, as you know. Yeah, yeah. So intense. Should I be eating this? Should I? Yeah. Be did I do waiting? that right? Should I be fucking yeah. have trained hard don't, enough? Do I still, this? And we do that combo right. Do I remember that right? You know stuff like that. But um, went out anyway. Fucking, he was out first. I fucking first time we seen him out his top on. So it was in Leopardstown race course. I don't know if anyone knows. There's a balcony upstairs, and the fighters came down the balcony into the cage. You know. So eyes up on the balcony, having eyes on down on him in the cage. That was the first time we've seen him with obviously no in top person, ran on. Say, yeah. Ripped to bits. Huge motherfucker. I was like, fuck this. But then I just thought to myself, fuck this. You know, I'm just going to go in and give it a go. Like, yeah, you know do what, what I mean? you can do, yeah. It's not as if I've, like, what have I got to lose? You know what I mean? So uh, I went in anyway and uh, he was fucking giving me major daggers, you know, trying his best at everything. But uh, I think in a way that was a good thing. Um, it kind of got me going and the, the adrenaline was right everything discipline it's hard to describe um, everything was in slow motion then I, I only ever felt this twice two of my best fights they both felt like they were in slow motion all the time other fights my first fight didn't I was just like a blur my second fight now this felt I, I, I can't describe it unless you thought maybe um, he came out and he went to take the bell rang anyway he touched clothes blah blah he came out and it was obviously he was much bigger you can see it like but he I, I, I caught him at a left straight away and he tried to take my legs, take take me down. Yeah, that was his thing, and um, it's hard. To, it was so it was slow motion. Like I seen him starting to take me down before he actually came to take me down. I don't know if that makes sense. I seen that he obviously made a movement for that. Yeah, he telegraphed it in some in some yeah. sense. Yeah, and I literally moved at the same time. I got the I got him with a flying knee and a muay thai clinch at the same time. Nice. So I was. I, 
all drove in, his head into your knee. Drove my head into my knee. Like, oh, I'm talking. You're talking. This is all within five seconds of the fight. Yeah. And he collapsed. No, I didn't know he collapsed at the time. He, la- wherever we landed, I was still holding the back of his head. And he fell down on top of my two knees, and it looked like he was still trying to take me down. Yeah. And I landed with my back against the cage, and he was trying to take me down. And so I landed. There's only one counted after. I, I fucking count with thirteen punches to the side of the head fuck sounds very fucking terrible when you say it out loud but <laughs> I, I caught him with 13 I counted them after on the video caught him with 13 of them and uh, he was out like but I didn't know that you're waiting for the ref of course yeah. do you know what I mean and this was grand the fucking ref obviously stopped it blah 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 and he collapsed in a fucking ton of bricks on my feet like and uh, obviously I was first of all I was like yes I won blah blah great then I turned around and he was fucking out cold and then I went from there, the ambulance were in. The whole event was stopped for like 20 minutes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I've never seen this before. Like, yeah. Everyone was coming to me, jeez, I've never seen that like that before. I was like, what? <laughs> like, fuck. Right, so uh, I was concerned for him then. Yeah, of course. Because um, like I said, there's a kind of a camaraderie between fighters. After the fight, it's totally different than before the fight. Well, you kind of... You kind of when you see him lying on a fucking pile on the ground, you kind of see yourself. Like, yeah, that, that could have been me. just as easily been yeah. used, you know. Like if you were jinged when he janged or whatever, exactly. Like, you know. So it's, anyway, it's nasty, he was down like. and he got him into an ambulance. He got him out. So that was grand. I won, and so fucking people loved it. Like you know, that's they, they love violence. But um, that was grand. So I went up to see him before the ambulance took him, and they brought him round at this stage. We couldn't talk. He broke his jaw, and uh, I just went down to him. He'd broken English, and I said, "Look, I'm very sorry." And he kind of grabbed me, he pulls me down, and he's like, don't be sorry. He said, uh, you done your job, you done what you're meant to do, like, you know. Yeah. I was like, oh, jeez, I didn't mean to do that. And he said, look, shit happens, but not in broken English. You can imagine. Of course, that, like, yeah, broken English or broken jaw. Like, uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. And he, he hugged me. Yeah. And this is the second time in a fight, like, that happened the last fight. I was like, this is fucking bad, like, you know. But I was talking to him online after that and all, and he was fucking great, like, you know, 100% nice chap. He actually didn't fight. I don't think he fought again after that. Um, understandably so, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, as you said, it was it was only it was amateur really at the time. It was amateur, but it wasn't really amateur as such. When you think about the rules, yeah. Well, it's like GAA in Ireland. Yeah, like it's it's you know yeah, it's amateur. But I mean, what's yeah. the difference between them and a professional so, sports player? Like? So that was grand, poor old chap. And I felt sorry for him, but uh, yeah, he's hundred percent. But yeah, he had enough. Then he said, "Fuck this." So uh, that was grand. Then went on and just researched things. But I got to fight them for the middleweight belt in Man of War straight away. After everyone loved it so much, there was a big fucking online stream people don't even know were asking for me to fight for the belt it's mad yeah yeah and uh, loads of shit went on anyway but oh, Jesus what was your man's name now that's shocking I can't remember Um, you were on the card actually I, I can't remember that I was fighting never mind that as you were fighting was that that night or did another fight in between well anyway yeah went to fight for the middleweight belt fucking your man never weighed in um, yeah I remember all that fucking debacle I, all right. yeah I still agreed to fight him yeah he's obviously way overweight way overweight like um, he just laid and prayed and he didn't even hit me like uh, like I basically I, I was cas- I caught him out actually a flying kick he took me down laid and prayed on me for the fucking three rounds basically I couldn't couldn't get out from under him I didn't take any damage he didn't hurt me but he won the fight obviously on points um, and I was kind of pissed off with that like he, he I think a lot of shit happened but in the end now, no disrespect to anyone Stefan or anyone that runs the event um it wasn't that safe. And it was only after I was talking, you probably know Peter Lavery. Oh, but... He'd be involved with Team Rhino. He runs uh, the... I think it is uh, Coalition MMA up the north. He's a respected referee in Ireland. He'd be the f- a pioneer in MMA in Ireland. Right, right. Peter Lavery, an amazing man. And he messaged me one day on Facebook and said, what do you mean he never weighed in? And I said, he never weighed in. 
and he's like what the fuck was the fight on for he wasn't ref nine Peter used refs every event in Ireland yes um, he's like why the fuck did you fight him and I said oh I just wanted to fight my family were coming there was tickets sold and, and what well, people don't understand as well you're after doing the fucking camp you're yeah. selling the tickets you're after, you know you've thought about nothing else for the last couple of months yeah, you know? yeah. but uh, Peter kind of sold to me he's like don't ever fucking do that again yeah yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, he's a legend of a man too can't say enough good things about Peter but um, yeah so I was like yeah you know what he's fucking right so um then I looked into things more. Um, I, I went down to welterweight then. Um, I had six fights in total. Like, um, went down to welterweight then, and uh, that's when a lot of things happened. So, um, probably leading a few things here. So then it was what it was going great. Um, the welterweight was going well. Um, I was doing actually pretty. I lost one fight to a friend of mine actually, Ao Daly. He he bet me. Um, I lost twice at welterweight. Um. Ao was a great friend of mine. Actually, trains team Rhino now. Lovely, lovely chap. But uh, he caught me in a triangle. Happens to anyone, you know. Actually, happened in a rush. Uh, I'd actually had a title fight coming up up in Belfast. Um, before that, I had a fight in Belfast up at um, uh, what you call it? what you call the thing in Belfast up north, the big, the Odyssey. No, no the, the the fighting organization. Oh, oh fuck! Um, Jesus, I have, a, I have a brain freeze there. Sorry, they're the best organization. Probably the best run event in the country. Um, Clan Wars Clan Wars awesome event yeah yeah absolutely amazing event Clan Wars but um, went up for my first fight in Clan Wars my first fight ever at 77 it was in the Ulster Hall sold out I think it was 2,000 people class unbelievable you do a big entrance big screen the whole lot the, the pyrotechnics the fucking works like, fucking yeah, loved yeah. it <laughs> so uh, I knew it was a big show because I've been following it online the whole time yeah and uh, so that's the, that was my pinnacle was, if I get on that fucking show I'm happy like that's the yeah. biggest show to me in yeah. Ireland time it's fucking that's the shit like. well next up after that would have been was Bama even as big as it was no now? there was no Bama uh, it was um, it was it was Andy's show Battlezone but a bold oh you cage contender sorry cage contender that's the other one yeah no, shit happened with them in the end and all that stuff but yeah cage contender but yeah I thought Clan Wars was, it was far more professional it was ran, it was unbelievable the way they ran the whole thing I was fighting amateur time and I felt like a pro to treat me like you know it was oh, amazing yeah. but even like they didn't give you a medal they gave you was it like a little uh, Celtic cross statue plaque they did, yeah. I just don't even know where any of that stuff is but yeah you get something but you know what I mean but yeah. it was just it was fucking class everything they did was just but when you weigh in right, the like. food and everything for you like I know yeah, it sounds yeah. like an obvious thing but no no one had that like you course, know what I mean course. not for amateurs either but they mixed their event amateurs and pros together so the amateurs started like pros at the end of the night you know but um went up there I can't remember the lad was fighting again another northern lad I do Dion Smith I think was his name real young prospect coming up in the north um, but uh, I'd never been 77 kgs in my life I think when I was a kid I don't know I can't remember like yeah. so I was like we, we, I looked into Royal Tower I'm going to have to get down to 77 these motherfuckers are middleweight are huge um, that loss at for the belt at Man of War brought it home to me I, I couldn't do much when he was laying and praying on top of me you know what I mean I just didn't feel I was strong enough to deal with these boys when I got to that position. Wherever, if I could catch them when I'm striking like I'd done before and it was happy days. But on the ground, the weight advantage counts. Like, it really, really does. Ah, yeah. It shouldn't, really, now, looking back on it again. and we'll put it this I'm way. that much better at Jiu-Jitsu now. It probably wouldn't be as bad. But look, if you're if you're equally matched or well-matched, exactly. which, which you should be in yeah, a fight. Yeah, the weight is a big advantage. Of course you know? Like, I mean, you're talking... So he's probably 20 kilos more than me, you know, 18. Easy, yeah. But anyway, that brought it home to me. I need to be a big fucker at middleweight. Yeah. Oh, sorry, uh, welterweight. welterweight. So 
and I loved Welterweight anyway. I was always a big fan of Welterweight. It's like in the G- like your GSP at the time, you'd fucking Carlos Condo is another hero of mine. Yeah, national bone killer. Um, he's actually making a comeback, which is great. Um, oh, there's so many good Welterweights, but um, yeah. So Welterweight was like I always envisioned myself getting to Welterweight someday. So this happened to be the time. So put a good camp in, but I started cutting mass away for this. So yeah, done the right way. Well. Thought this time wasn't perfect, but a better way, so done a better way. So, yeah, I've done the water loading as you said. So, if people don't know, so weighing in on I think I was fighting on the Sunday. So, Monday I drank eight liters of water, Tuesday I drank six liters of water, Wednesday I think I went to three liters of water. Um, you went down as opposed to up. Oh, yeah, you start off high and go down. Um, and that's how we've done it all from there. Then, um, right, come by Friday, I'm weighing in on Saturday. Friday, all I could drink is a cup of water. Yeah. Now, now I've I'm I'm going toilet the whole time all week. Like you can imagine how I'm pissing the whole time. Yeah. So because you've drank that much at the start and you've activated your system, you keep flushing your system out. It just keeps flushing, flushing, flushing. Um, I got this from on American wrestling websites. That's where I got right, um, right. Because that's where if you want to know cutting started, that's where cutting starts. So yeah. I go to the source. So that was grand. Then I done the whole um done me got the carbs down so I'd literally take 50 grams of carbs so I'd have enough enough carbs to train enough energy yep. just to train because you know what excess, excess carbs turns to fat so as I was like right I'm not going I'm going to get lean as a motherfucker so actually physically looking I probably looked the best I've ever looked I looked like a fucking model like it was ripped yeah but um, I didn't energy wise was depleting towards you didn't feel it yeah. I didn't feel good I done um, like a light sparring training session on the Thursday um, now bear in mind it's the middle of a cut too but and how much did you cut? I cut 13 kilos in 13 kilos? <laughs> yeah yeah fucking 13 I know kilograms in less than two weeks so yeah fucking hell for 13 days 12 days yeah, yeah. but Jesus Christ that's colossal yeah from, start... from welterweight or from fucking middleweight to welterweight like. well it wasn't even middleweight I was Jesus what was I so I was nearly 90 kilos sure Started cutting around then. Fuck. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what happened, Sean. Yeah. No, no, it was 13, 12, 12 and a half kilos or something. We're not going to argue about half a kilo. But uh, yeah, so it was fucking horrible, to be honest. Um, it's actually the first time I ever seen my wife cry when I was doing a weight cut. Um, coming up near the fight, I still had five or six kilos, which is a lot now when I think about it. At the time, I didn't think it was. I'd never done it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought, fuck a six kilos. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, yeah, so I was cutting the weight, cutting the weight. It was coming off now, you know, that was a good thing. Um, got really then, got 8% body fat. But sorry, when I said when I said cutting, I meant specifically in the week up to the fight. Like. Yeah, so in the fight then I started my water load and I was cutting water most of that week. Sorry, so that's what I meant. I thought you'd cut fucking 13 kilos for the weight, like for the previous week. like. No, I'd say I started off that cut the week before the whole thing, uh, maybe 9 kilos left to cut. Right. It's still high. It's too big. Too big. Yeah, yeah. Nine is massive. Um, I cut mind down. 13. I cut my carbs and cut my body fat down for the start. I lost that. I got down to eight percent body fat. Um, I felt weird actually. Eight percent body fat. It's hard to describe. Even training. Taut kind of. I fucking felt every dig to the stomach more. I felt everything right, more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's actually yeah. It just didn't feel like it used to feel. But anyway, cut down. Yeah. Started a high weight cut in the water. Got it down pretty quickly. I lost. By the f- Thursday, I yeah, so I had about four kilos of five left. I can't remember what it was. I used to write it all down. But anyway, yeah. So then I had to hit the bath on the Thursday night. I went training in the wet in the in the 
with what Epsom sauna. salts or something yeah so the sauna's doing I've done a full training session now when I say full training I wasn't taking the impact on it I was just yeah, yeah. moving getting the sweat going I lost I lost a bit of weight there and came home said right I'm going to have to lose a kilo or so here like two kilos so I got um, a kilo of Epsom salts and a bath as hot as I could take it and I read all this online um, and rubbing alcohol <laughs> as you do filled the bath up opened the pores up got into the bath well I'm not joking you I, I thought it was going to be a fucking stew after this thing like you know what I mean it was so hot but this is this is another point that got me into I'd always dabbled in meditation right? I was always into a little bit of meditation never never one of these like massive meditation people but I used to like meditating so um, I, I in the sauna was actually that week too um, there was one episode where I was in the sauna and I stopped sweating um, it was dry like coming out of the sauna yeah Um but to stay in the sauna, I used to do meditation. Of course, yeah. So I used to, I can't, it's not meditation like I didn't have the music going or the chant going or any of that shit. Like there's different types of meditation, as you know. I used to, I started off doing like a meditation with numbers. So I'd have numbers going in my head. It's a strange way. It was, um, before you knew it, 10 minutes, 15 minutes had passed. Like, so I'd be counting numbers and then I'd get to a certain number and then, I'd count to another number and then add them numbers and count to that number. I was just fucking with my mind, keeping my mind busy, basically. Right. But while doing that, I was totally in another plan. I zoned out. You forget you're in the sauna, like. Yeah. Um, you were focusing on the numbers there as opposed to the yeah. breath, which would be more typical. Yeah, well, the breathing was always... Yeah, I wasn't doing the breath thing in the sauna at the time. Um, so that was fine. But then, I that was in the saunas. And then when I got to the Epsom salt bath, back to that again, I started the breathing. So... This this night particularly, I, I said I was cutting a lot of weight and I was in the bath and it was fucking horrendous. I can't describe how horrendous this was. This it was fucking horrendous. I was and this is what? The, the Thursday. Two nights before the fight? Two nights before the weigh-in. Oh, the weigh-in, of course, yeah. Um, So that was grand. So I got into this bath. Fucking, just so that doesn't scald you. As hot as you can get it before you get third degree burns. Put it that way. <laughs> All the Epsom salts, rubbing alcohol. Jesus Christ, sure, the alcohol alone was burning before I got in. So I got in and I was horrendous. But I said, right, I'm going to fucking do this. I'm never going to miss weight because, you know, I just have in my head, I'm turning up, I'm going to make weight, I'm going to fight. So this is grand. So I was in the bath and I started doing my breathing thing. And before I knew it, I was just fucking gone. Another planet. Can't describe it. Um, it was short, sharp, deep breaths. It was just, uh, at the time I didn't know what I was doing, you know. But uh, I researched it after. I was like the holotropic type of meditation, which I knew nothing about. I never knew it existed, but I, I unwittingly kind of opened up to it a little bit that night. But uh, it's hard to describe. I'd fucking crazy. I thought it were dreams at the time. Okay. I was gone. Like, I was on another planet. I was in tripping, this... Tripping, Fucking tripping. You could describe it as tripping, like, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, just mad shit going on. Like, oh, was that from the breathing or the fucking dehydration or it's, well, heat it's, stroke? It's, it's all or... both, as I found out later on. Um, which I reg- like, uh, like, yeah, it was from it was from the dehydration and the breathing, which basically is what it's all about, really. To be honest, fasting and breathing through meditation, you know. But anyway, so I didn't know any of that properly at the time. I I was kind of dabbling bits and pieces, but I never knew about holotropic breathing or any of that stuff. But yeah, it was fucking crazy. And then I came out of the buzz. And I was been in the bath for ages. And Liz was banging on the door. And she came in. And she said I looked like death. Literally looked like death. Like, she said, how can you sit in the bath that long? She put her hand in. She's like, fucking, you're crazy. Like, you know. So After she, it having cooled down, obviously. From yeah, exactly. It, like, uh, so then, she's like, right, 
get out of the bath. I said, I can't fucking move. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, what do you mean you can't fucking move? And she said I look like one of these Auschwitz fucking... Hairs. I'd well believe it, yeah. Um, my chin was gone, everything. It was coming to a head then, you know what I mean? And uh, The whole cut thing, the whole week, the whole two weeks. So. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was like, that she had to help her pull me out of the bath. Like a, I was like a snail coming out of the bath, like slid along the bath, like flopped down. I literally, if I wanted, I couldn't do anything. Lay in the cold tiles on the bathroom floor and it was like heaven. I was just like, oh. And then I panicked. I said, no, no, I need towels. I can't get warm again. I need to keep sweating through me. See, my plan was to have the bath, go to bed with tracks on, all the towels on and keep sweating through my sleep. Right, yeah. So I just keep cutting through I'd the night. dead. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, it was going really well. So yeah, <laughs> Alyssa just started crying. She said, "Kevin, what are you doing? This fucking state. You look, you look nearly dead." Like she said, "I've seen dead people look better than you." Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like, "It's gonna be grand. I'm gonna get there, and I'm gonna fucking like when you're zoning in and something like that." Oh yeah, it's fucking like the I'm shit making you do, like. fucking weight. If I have to chop my arm off, yeah, I'll, I'll fucking make that way. So anyway, when I commit to something, I always, as I said at the start, I fucking commit. I'm in. I'm all in. So got down anyway. I actually lost four kilos, believe it or not. And, no, three and a half kilos that night, sleeping that night with the sweating. I did. I got into the bed with the tracks on in the spare bed. Obviously, there was no way I was getting into the bed beside her. I, was having <laughs> I went to the spare room. I wrapped myself in blankets. I had my tracksuit on. I had my sweatsuit on. And a duvet wrapped around me. And again, I had a fucking crazy sleep, like tripping again. You know what I mean? It was fucking mad, like just mad. But um, woke up the next morning and uh, weight was coming down good. So uh, I drank a little bit of water. I was trying not to drink any water at this point, you see, but I had to. I was fucked. Drank a bit of water, but then it says, well, I'll get rid of that water later. You know what I just... Oh, when you said a, a bit of water, like like a sip or a, a oh, mugful or no, what? Yeah, you're talking probably three mouthfuls. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the first one I think I spat out, I just rinsed my mouth and spat it out. But yeah, well, that'd be more typical. Like, yeah, yeah, but it didn't. It didn't Didn't do what I needed to do. I had mm. to try to physically swallow a bit of water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But look, we're going good. It was horrific. The whole thing was fucking horrific. But got to the last day of the weight cut anyway, and um, I got a bit of energy going that day. I ate um, carbs, and um, so I was always of the opinion that oh, you can't eat, you can't eat. You put on fat, you fuck. The carbs go through you so quickly, and the energy burns off that quickly. You actually can eat a certain amount of carbs. Now I know all this now, but at the time I didn't. Yeah. But uh, done the training all that night. So the next morning. Um, I was due to go to Belfast to weigh in, so I had to lose, I think it was 1.5 or something kilos. Right. And um, I was fucked, but went down to Body Trim. Big out show to Adrian there. Adrian opened up early, gave me the facilities for free, the whole lot. I walked in, he said, what the fuck are you cutting out else for, you crazy <laughs> bastard? I said, I need to use your sauna. So uh, I done a, a, a light workout, Um with the sauna on tracks on got the sweat going went into the sauna then and yeah I, I was there for a while I was there till I had to get it off simple as um, several attempts kept coming out too early last attempt fucking came out I bang on weight um, so that was grand wrapped myself up again rinsed my mouth out and spat out water again you know yeah, what I mean yeah treat yourself so wrapped up in the back of the car the whole up got a lift up obviously to Belfast didn't eat or touch anything the weighing was a fucking 12 o'clock like it was horrendous the worst day of my life um, hanging around at the weigh-ins um, eventually I, I fuck I tell you now I, I was on another planet during the whole thing my man I was fighting came in I, and I couldn't have cared if he was going to kill me there and then 
I was just like, I need to hit that scale. I don't care who's here. I, I wasn't, nothing phased me. I was just looking at the scale. Like me, <laughs> tonal vision, I need yeah. to get on the scale. You know what I mean? So, made the scales. Made fucking made. Happy days. Now, that's the first part of weight cutting. That was wrong anyway. But in general, people have worse stories than that, I'm sure. So some people need to fucking die and have died. But, um, my rehydration, that's the whole other kettle of fish. So, I researched a lot of the way cutting. Didn't research a lot of the way. I didn't have the or light. Um but um I knew I knew I couldn't take too much too quick, obviously. Now I had carbs now with me, I had pasta and stuff pre prepared, I had everything pre prepared. But I didn't have enough salts, sodiums or electrolytes. Yeah, yeah. Not by far, which is the main important thing. And plus you can only take so much of that at a certain time and so um like obviously I learned all this after that, but uh my my um, rehydration was terrible. I shat myself that night. If if you obviously I don't know if it ever happened to you or do you know, but when you cut a lot of weight and you're trying to rehydrate, and you've only twenty four hours rehydrate, you can't flood the body with stuff straight away, or it'll just say what the fuck are you doing, and it's just basically you literally fucking shit it out yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's um we can't deal with this either. So fuck you, get that stuff yeah. back out of me, you know. So it's horrendous. So anyway, got through that. Um, eventually start to come back to myself. It's 12 o'clock that night, I think. I started to feel human again. Stayed up. Had me watching timer every hour to drink, 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 drink. Getting me stuff going again. Um, by this stage, I had got Vitagro. What's Vitagro? So a lot of cyclists use it. So basically, it's like the Diorla. It has electrolyte sodium salts. Cyclists okay. use it. Um, a friend of mine was a cyclist and he said, fucking, why haven't you got Vitagro? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's a supplement, basically. It's a brand. I don't know if it's a brand name or is it whatever it is. But yeah, I got Vitagro. And I started drinking that. And Jesus Christ, the difference. But it was too late. Yeah. I should have been doing that straight when after the When you get the off the scales, yeah. So, and the other thing I done that actually made a mistake was I ate red meat that night. Okay. Red meat is a no-go because your body works so hard to process red meat. Right. So my body was concentrating. I only found all this out after now, obviously. Yeah, I didn't know that with the red meat great thing. Um, Your body works so hard to process that red meat that instead of rehydrating you and getting your body back to a level where you want to be, it's working on, let's break down this red meat. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so you're giving it a job to do when there's more important work un, to be done. Yeah, exactly. So I should have had fucking salmon and fish and turkey and, you know what I mean, white meats. and But I didn't. So I, I think, no one, most lads, I think, right, steak. Get yeah, right yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Protein and steak. There is protein, but as I learned again, there's different types of proteins. Proteins work in different ways. Digest it in different ways. So anyway, great lesson to learn. Tough way to learn it, but brilliant. Learned so much from this, but I uh, made the fight anyway in the and end of it Made I'm sorry fight. so you were weighing and you were weighing at what 77 77 and what were you when you were fighting basically what weight was you about? so I got back to 84 fucking hell yeah overnight 7kg in pure water fuck me yeah pretty much but looking at it now when I done it the other times I was back to 88 but I obviously cut weight totally different so you know so, so the first time I made well to weight I was 77 got to 84 Um, and then after that when I was cutting weight to well to weight I rehydrated properly obviously and knew what I was doing I was 88 so you, right. can, you can see the advantage there coming in after doing it properly oh yeah of course yeah. you know what I mean um, so that's the whole key but anyway yeah so I was trying to anyway, got to that fight worst fight in my life I won but it's probably still the worst fight in my life um, came in um, I don't know was it because of the way I cut now as well I, I wasn't back to full strength at all but um, I had injured my foot in that training camp and the only way you get medical clamours are one of the best to do medicals before they check you over and I had to hide before I had a big lump on my foot and it was I, I, 
my big toe was fractured like and I got this little lump on it because obviously I kept using it and you know the way you get this fucking lump forms and yeah it's like a, I don't know what it is like a, is it a hematoma or yeah is it like a, it's full of is it a calcium thing or? yeah it's fucking it just swelled up like is it akin to cauliflower ears is that the is it no I think it's because of the fracture and it, I think it's trying to protect itself isn't it it's like a callus but it's like watery okay um, I don't know I never it, had it it, so it forms you. around the break and as far as you know from reading up it's trying to protect the area that's broken okay it's trying to reinforce it as such but obviously I wasn't letting it but I don't know kicking for the last week of the thing anyway but anyway I had to walk. <laughs> yeah. But I uh, got to that anyway, so I had to hide my foot. So I went into the doctor's thing, right? So I had my bag with me going in purposely. I made it like look like, oh, I'm just here with my bag. I need my fucking medical. So you do your medical. So that's grand. Done the medical. But when I was doing the medical, I put the bag on top of my foot. Yeah. At the bottom of my seat. Yeah. So your man checked me on. He checked on me. But he never went down as far as my feet, look, you know, because I was saying, if he sees this now. But he done, my heart rate was all over the place. And that's because of my um, weight cut. Right. And my blood pressure wasn't right either. And he said, you're not fucking, there's no way I can clear you. Clear you. And then, lucky enough, Keith that was with me, he said, look, he's only still rehydrating properly. He's still not fully hydrated. He's not on till, I forget what, I wasn't start of the car, I was middle of the car near the end or whatever. He said, look, he still has two and a half, three hours because you're there very early before the fights, as you know. And your man goes, look, come back to me in two hours. And if you're not anyway better, you're not fighting like, you know, yeah, yeah, as. you're not, you're not hydrated properly. So, God, fuck, kept rehydrating. What can I do? Just kept it going and came back and he done the test again. And it was wet, like, it was borderline as your man told me. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah, you know, you know, it wasn't dangerous. I don't think he would let me if it was dangerous, but got the fight anyway. So went down to the cage anyway. Started the fight. What did I start with? Fucking leg kick. Yeah. <laughs> So, Old habits like hard. Yeah, no, I didn't feel pain on it, but... But did you land with your foot, your shin, or...? I landed with my foot, of course yeah. I did, right across the fucking side of his knee. But um, when I put my foot back and you go to step, the step isn't there. You know that kind of feeling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Dion was a great grappler. Lovely, lovely chap again, Dion. Great grappler, got me, got, grabbed me. First time in my life I was ever suplexed. <laughs> 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 this is actually online. People can go and watch this. I think all my fights are online. But you can go and watch this. Like, you fucking suplex me. In case I forget to ask at the end, what would you find them on? Like, just, just Clamor. Just Google if you Clamor's, Kevin, Boot, Kevin Clamor's, Boots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen it a few times. Um, it's not better than watch yourself getting suplexed. <laughs> but uh, fair play to him. Um, suplexed me. Took me down. Took me down loads of times. But lucky enough, again, my addiction kicked in to my jiu-jitsu. I was so lucky, man. I couldn't. He was in top position all the time. Obviously, I was depleted, like. But I was, I was threatening my hips were moving. Actually, they say in the commentary and the thing when you're listening to it, I've oh look at his hips. He knows what he's doing. Educated hips or something they call me. <laughs> but I was always, I was never stationed. Always looking, and I was at my own weight now. So it wasn't like before where your man laid and prayed on me. Yes, I felt like I was able to get butterfly. I was able to get move. I was able to turn my hip. I wasn't yeah, just maybe getting get a flat. I wasn't getting flattened. Like, yeah. Um, so that was great, yeah. So I was on the ground getting destroyed, getting suplexed, getting fucking slammed. <laughs> but I was threatening all the time. So I felt really good at the end of the first round. Um And you so you were on your back for the, all of the first round of most pretty, of it, or? pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting fucking hammered. Um but But still, you know, maybe getting an arm, maybe. Oh, I was threatening the whole time. I nearly had an arm actually, um and I nearly had a Kimura. Um so yeah, I was threatening and I felt good about it because I knew he wasn't gonna pass my guard, number one. Yeah, and number two I knew he was. all he was trying to do was ground and pound and I knew I watched a few of his videos online before the fight and that's what he does he, he's a good wrestler and he grounds and pounds you but uh, he didn't have that for me in the submission I fucking knew it like so I came back to the corner fucked and I made a mistake in this I started training with another team as well I don't know if you know um, Team Sapo 
Rafael Natal Sapo was in UFC, recently retired. Yes, Morsega. I actually trained a bit of jiu-jitsu with you up there. Was that those guys? Morsega, yeah. Did you come to me one night? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, do you remember yeah. that? I forgot about that, actually, yeah. yeah nice bunch a, of that lads. Was, that was the first time I rolled with a black belt. Oh, was it? You never told me that. Did yeah, you? it would have been, yeah. What was it? Yeah. Was that at the seminar or just with the lads up in the gym? And no, that was just with the, the lads gym. in the gym. Yeah, yeah, I remember it now. Yeah, yeah. I just remember looking, yeah, two fucking culties coming up. <laughs> 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 fucking hilarious. Yeah, that was a good night, fucking actually. Fucking wall-to-wall Brazilians. The warm-up like. was the most impressive thing of them, boys. You remember that? You're doing backflips over each other. That's right, fucking, yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty cool, like. But I started training with them, boys, but I fucked up and I had, had them in my corner as well. But I wasn't training with them long enough. I know what you mean. And I yeah, went back to yeah. the corner and I them telling me one thing and my own coach telling me another thing and I was thinking another fucking thing and things are just fucking the worst corner situation you could possibly have. Um, I don't even think anyone gave me any fucking water now that I think, but it was just too much <laughs> shit going on. So in the end... Too I was, many chiefs. Yeah, so in the end I just said, look, I'm going to submit the cunt. That's what I said to them, I think. But um, that was grand. Went out anyway. He went to take me down again, which I knew he would. I actually put myself in a position for it this time. He, he slams you every time. He loves the spectacular slam, which is fucking great. So he picked me up and he fucking slammed me. As he slammed me, I tied up the key lock. As you, anyone that doesn't know what it is, it, it's a key lock. It's, 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 very, it's a great control position from the bottom. You can sweep with it, you can submit with it. But you're able to get it. I always find the key lock easy to get for some reason. Um, I don't know why, but uh, I don't think... I, I, <laughs> you can watch the video. The boys didn't even know what this submission was at the time. I got like a reverse key lock, right? So from the bottom, he was on top of me. I got the key lock on the way down and I, I got it. So basically I was trying to bend his elbow over towards the back of his head. Okay. Right. Um, but I had this key lock. It was like a Kimura, but kind of from a funny position where you wouldn't really do it. And um, he just come over from side control. You know what I mean? Yeah. So well, you have him step in your full guard. I had him in my full guard. Yeah. And I caught this key lock. So it wasn't technically a Kimura as such. It was a key lock grip. Yeah. And uh, I don't know why. He was pressing in on me. I was like, all right. So he's pressing in me. And I got the key lock locked, locked like. Yeah. And I put my hip out thinking, right, I'll use it to sweep. But I caught him. Whatever way I caught him in my leg, he wasn't. You knew you could submit him. I knew I could submit him. But I'd never done it before. Yeah. And uh, I pushed it up pretty deep now. And I said it to him, don't make me break your arm. This is in the middle of the fight. And he was like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and I never forget it. Like, and he went to fucking smash me again. And I said, I think you can see it if you're always talking to him. I said, I'll fucking break your arm. I'll take your arm home or something I like saying to him. <laughs> so I just fucking went for it then. You know what I mean? Uh, it was actually Peter Larvey was refereeing that fight. And um, just as I went to push for it, he was like, oh, okay. He tap, 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 tap. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, it was great to get that submission. But after worst camp of my life, worst way I cut my life, and I end up getting a W, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was just the fucking but, fight game, wasn't it? Yeah, it's the fight game, but, um, yeah, I went down from there, I learned so much about weight cutting properly, um, went on, I actually fought for another belt then, against, um, Jeff, um, oh, I can't think of Jeff's second name, he was a champ for ages, undefeated, fucking, winning the fight, I went for a Kimura, but I didn't secure side control, and, he actually was able to take me back, because I didn't hold it right, and he fucking, Got rear naked on me, fucking lost again. So two title fights rear I felt sure. Yeah, but I was too, again. I was overly excited for that fight. That's I, kind of hard not to be. Though, no, is it? boys. I felt good the whole way through. I trained really well. When we first started striking, I knew I was hurting him with my strikes, and his his had no impact on me whatsoever. I felt good in letting him hit me. Then I slammed him, 
jumped on him and went for the Camaro and I got choked out. Yeah, So cruel. people might say, well, it's not cruel. Look, I fucking, the other lad annihilated me before the fight and I won. So yeah, yeah. as you said, it's the fight game, you know what I mean? Karma's a bitch. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. But uh, what was the position before submission? You know, that's what he's saying. It's nothing true or like, you know. Yeah, well, it all falls back onto uh, the fundamentals, isn't it? The basics. Yeah, like. pretty much. Well, yeah, the good run in the MMA. Look, you know, like six, six fights was pretty good. And then I got an after pro. Um, Cage Warriors approached me. Okay. Um, they're coming to Dublin. Cage Warriors at the time was the biggest event in Europe, I think, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it would have been, yeah. Um, pretty cool event. Got an opportunity. I think I was talking to you anyway, I was saying to you. Yeah, I remember it, yeah. Yeah, I rang you. I said, Frano, I'm going pro. He <laughs> <I> said, don't <laughs> do it. <laughs> but uh, I said, fuck it. Like, how often you ever going to get a chance to do it but in the Hill Hunt there's been a fight like called Rob Laburn. he was a Marine from England right it was New Year's Eve in Dublin um, it was the night Neil Seary won his belt okay Cage Warriors um, but uh, I fucking tore my meniscus and I didn't realise it and uh, simple thing hopping out of a fucking van meniscus is what in the it's knee a, it's in your knee yeah um, it's like a fucking squidgy little thing in your knee but um, never heard of it till this but um, tore my meniscus didn't know what it was. Just I, I, I was actually limping for three months. I went to the sports injury clinic, got fucking MRIs, loads of shit done, and uh, in the end, I met this surgeon, and he started off by saying we'd never operate on anyone unless we really had to, and then he's like, oh, we're going to have to operate on you. <laughs> but I researched and researched it then, so it seemed like the meniscus is no blood flow. Okay. So even if you do injure it, it's very hard to heal. So if you have an operation on it, it's very it takes a long, long time. For so it to heal. it's it's uh, it's like a tendon or something, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's like a squish. Does it connect? The it's like a piece of calamari, is the way it's described to me. Is like the bottom and top part of the knee. Does it join it's in the, the joint, them? right in the middle of the joint, like a rubber? Oh, it runs through the joint. Yeah, the one. Yeah, um, looks like calamari is the only way they could describe it to me. Right, and yeah. So anyway, fucking, I was all ready to go for the operation. Like the, I, had to, I had no insurance, so I was paying for myself. I like got the money organized, all that. Then I thought to myself, fuck it, I'm going to spend this money on this, blah, blah, blah. I said, right, I'm not going to do it, I'm going to wait a while. And I was working, actually, I was very busy. I was actually doing working for a company, doing sound, staging and lighting and stuff at the time. Again, just got into it as a necessity in between jobs. And uh, it was hard work, but I was up and down off things and it was fucking killing me for the week. But I persevered and persevered and after a while it started not to feel as bad. The limp went away. I had a limp for three weeks, like... Limp started to go away. I didn't even notice at that time until someone said to me, "You're not limping." I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm not." Yeah. Um, time passed. Just to get to the brunt of it. Fucking nine months passed. I was training on and off, but not really. And uh, after about nine months, I went to do a BJJ session, and I was fucking grand. My knee was fine. The pain was gone. Yeah. Happy days. And I was like, "Fuck!" If I had had the operation, he told me it would be a year, year and a half. Yeah. But so some way, I don't know how it happened. Or what happened? Um, it healed itself basically. Um. To this day, I have no major issues with it. So, good stuff. Touch um, wood. Yeah, so it was nothing. But that put off my professional debut. Rescheduled for a professional debut again. And um, who was I meant to fight that time? I can't remember who it was actually. Um, and then the Cage Warriors thing went fucking wallop. I don't know if you remember that. No. Cage Warriors, it's only coming back now actually. Um, Cage Warriors dissolved. And then the Irish fella that's in Cage Warriors ended up buying them all out. Was there an issue there about lads not getting paid or something after? There was those issues. I think it went, there was issues all over the place. And right, right. So that never happened. And then, yeah, I gave up on me then. Um, I, I said I was saying two to three times a day I was getting into it all. And then uh, 
myself and my wife have been married for a long time we decided we're going to start trying for a family that takes a lot of time as you know it took over my life yeah of course yeah um lucky enough we had a little girl then she was quite sick when she's born but we got through that then we had a surprise second child (laughs) 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 who came right a year after ruby rose and then like it was like fucking mma just kind of i put it off put it off put it off and it's been two and a half years you know what i mean Fuck yeah, it seconds me as well. Goes, kind of you, know? you clock up the time, like you know, yeah. Like, oh, fuck. But um, I'd love to get back into. I'm gonna go back into jujitsu only now. MMA now. Like I work for myself now. Um, if I get injured in MMA, sure, my my income's gone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, as you know, MMA is a funny sport. Like a lot of lads are on the dole. I would say. 90% of professionals are on the dole, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, there's, I think McGregor has kind of skewed the public's perception of what it is to, to be a fighter, you know? Mm. If you're if you're anyway half-decent, you're driving nice cars and you have a nice yeah. house. Do you know, like, so I know loads of pros and they're fucking broke. Broke as fuck. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they have kids and I don't know how they're doing it. They're living yeah. on welfare, like, but I don't know how they're doing it. Now that I've seen it myself because when you're in there it's so fucking full on you believe in yourself so much you think right, I'm going to make I'm going to win I'm going to do this well, it's, your, it's your life isn't it it's your life and they're never going to do it like but you can't tell them that it's not they wouldn't believe you anyway yeah of course but yeah. it's sad to see like there's no real support there of such yeah I think that it's coming better in this country now I think John Cavan and Andy and a few of them are, the, the, the Irish Martial Arts Federation is on the go now but um, Neil Seary actually another f- I got lucky enough to train with Neil before in Team Rhino. Um, I was only briefly in Team Rhino because that's when my injuries and all started. But um, I got to train with Neil. Serious pro. Class pro. Neil's a real rocky story. Like People should, yeah. don't know Neil. Yeah. should check him out. Um, Neil made it to the UFC and all. But Neil is a, is a legend in Irish MMA. And um, Neil spoke after he retired from the UFC about there's nothing there when you retire. So like footballers, I think, have a thing now. Kind of oh, a kind of government assistance. Yeah, assistance or not or even or like even like an Irish federation assistance. Yeah, yeah. He said like that's what people need to do. Um, there needs to be some kind of support network there when people finish MMA, because a lot of the time you might finish with no money. The them highs are going and fighting in front of them crowd. I can only imagine. I never fought in front of like the crowds. Neil fought in front of. But imagine going from that high, high, and winning at that high and the buzz yeah. of it, and then. Right, you're tired now. <laughs> yeah, that's I suppose it's in a lot of sports out, out to pasture, like yeah. So I think he's, I think he's on a campaign or he's doing something. He spoke about it anyway. Um, I'm not going to try quote Martin yet because I haven't got the details here. But he, um, he's campaigning. I think for something to be done for when people retire. You know. Yeah, not fair play mm. because another thing I think people miss out on, like they see the likes of Neil Seary and, and they kind of look at him as though, like he he's the success story. He's the guy that made it and now he's all right. But, but Neil always worked. He never left his job. Well, you see, that's it. And you f- because he fucking couldn't. Yeah, right? Neil worked in a warehouse. Neil has about 20 kids. <laughs> has about 20 kids? Yeah, I think Neil has five or six kids anyway. But uh, yeah, he had his family support. He knew it wasn't forever. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. Like anyone that wants to make as a pro, yeah, Connor is a great example. And I'm not going to knock Connor. He is Connor's Connor. But if you really wanted to talk to a pro that was like realistically and knows the crack, I'd say Neil would be well worth a chat to anyone. Or I think that Mixed Martial Arts Federation of Ireland should nearly employ Neil to go out and talk to people in clubs. Yeah, Do you yeah, know what I, know I mean? What you mean. Yeah, and share yeah. his experience because he knows what he's talking about. He's been on the whole side of it. and I think that now when the sport is young and growing in Ireland, these things should be put in place now and not wait till shit goes wrong. You know no, what I mean? No, of course. But it's, it's mad to see how much it's come on in such a relatively short space of time, I suppose, in Ireland. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's class. And as a massive fan of the sport, it's fucking class, isn't it? Like, oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, it blows yeah. my mind. When I go to clubs now, even, 
and just watch. Did you ever just watch training? Yeah. You're watching 12-year-olds doing fucking hurricane kicks. You're watching them doing fucking... But it's it's mad. I would have trained with... Um, there was a... I suppose the, the only thing you could ca- could have called him at the time was um, a mat rat. Mm. Uh, Dylan Chuk. Mm. I know and, Dylan, yeah. Yeah, of course. Mm. Fucking going on to do fantastic new, things. like. Yeah, well, hopefully he gets, he's getting back in the wind column now again. So, yeah, 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 no, yeah. absolutely. No, what a rags for Richie's story. People should Big check time. out Dylan. Yeah. Big time. Um, I must actually reach out to him to see if, if he'd come on. He'd yeah. be a great lad to chat to. Gas, man. But I remember when I, I was at it, I don't know, maybe a couple of years, and he'd been there, kind of, I think, on and off. He'd be around and then he wouldn't because, like, he was only fucking... I don't know what age he was. He could have been only 13 or 14, like, in, mm. in with, you know... Yeah, so he's only about what now? Jesus, he's 18, is he? Um, 19, maybe? I don't know, but let's say he's... If he, he's not 20, anyway. He must be. Oh, he couldn't be. He's very young. Dylan's still very young. Well, sure, there you go. Like, so he could have mm. been only fucking 13 or mm. something when I was in my mid-20s, say, yeah. when I was training. And that's what I mean. He was a mat rat. He was fucking in yeah. and out. And, you know, he'd be he'd be there one week and he mightn't be the next. So at least that's my recollection yeah, of him, like, you yeah. know. And, um, but I remember looking at him as a child, essentially, at the time. And there he was, you know, fucking rear naked choking and fucking triangle and, you know, yeah. practicing his kicks and all that. And I remember looking at him thinking to myself, like, fucking hell, like, that's that's the future right there. Like, oh, you know, that kind time. of way. Yeah, kids basically coming up and even now these days there's another one up in SPG now who trains with Dylan all them um, Nate the Great have you ever heard of him yes yes of course yeah hilarious great, great character um, you think Connor's bad jeez wait to see <laughs> wait, wait to see Connor 2.0 <laughs> this chap but, is but again, a different a different breed like I yeah. mean we're, like we're working at old school at this stage you know that kind of way but these oh, lads totally, yeah. nearly started when we started but they and were they're 10 doing everything together so like I done a bit of box, I done a bit of cry, then I got into jiu-jitsu, then I tried to put it all together. But you see, that's it. They're they're starting at they're age eight, doing everything, doing, doing mixed martial arts. You know what I mean? So they're dedicating a night a week to jiu-jitsu. They're dedicating a night a week to wrestling. They're doing their kickboxing, their muay thai. They're doing everything. Like so, they're versed in everything. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? and they don't have the the downside that like let's say if you have a back, if you have a stand up if you have a boxing background let's say you get put under pressure even mm. as a seasoned fighter you're going to resort back to the kind of what you know which is the boxing stance and Big if you're time. against a wrestler he's just going to fucking take you down Big you know? time, yeah yeah no that will um, be gone soon the funny thing about that is i don't know what you think but i could talk about mma all night people will be bored out of shape but <laughs> um it always comes to grappling doesn't it uh grapple like the jiu-jitsu end of it or the wrestling any end of it fight or? so you watch street fighting like right basically right any fighting at all like i watch fighting all the time still like when i'm lying in my bed at night i'm watching jiu-jitsu videos i'm watching incidents that happen on the street i'm watching all kind i'm just fascinated with fight I always have been i just so i'm wired i think i don't know but i'm um, fascinated by people can control other people or even more so the psychological things now how people prevent things and all but anyway you watch it right so any fight that happens they always get close and they either fall on the ground if it's a street fight Right, so you always get tangled up in each other and fall on the ground. Yeah, ninety nine percent of the time, um, or you watch MMA. So you've two really good strikers. They always like they always get in a clinch in the cage as a grappling situation. So, well, look, one no matter how evenly, no matter how even two guys are in the stand up and the striking end of things, one of them's always going to be. Not better, but more on their game. Well, someone's going to land, and then you just think grab. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. Like, it's a natural instinct, isn't of it? Of course, of course. And if someone's getting, if someone has the upper hand on you on the feet striking, what the fuck would you be doing staying there? Mm. You want to get that shit to the ground exactly, and, exactly. and figure it out there. But I, I think where I was going with that was anyone that was interested in MMA, I think they didn't want to get hit in the face. They, they should look at jiu-jitsu. Oh, I, yeah. I know you've been pushing people. I've been pushing people for years. Um, you can't get a better sport for people to start that are like, genuinely interested in the sport that don't 
want to get hit. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And even if you're not into MMA and you're looking for something to try and you want to get into a martial art, I think jiu-jitsu for anyone, young, old, man, woman, it's the way forward, you know? No, absolutely. And get, on, get on to it quickly because uh, it can change your life. No, big time. It, it has no. it has for countless people. Like, and mm. uh, Essentially, the podcast I had with, Ro- with Roger was a... Uh, uh, an ad for fucking yeah I really enjoyed it like. I would like to hear Roger go more in depth obviously about his feelings with Jiu Jitsu and well, I don't but he's know. not that type you know Roger I, I got found out to a certain degree with Roger I felt like I I felt like I interviewed Roger which is something that I, yeah, I don't yeah, want to it, do it, actually as you say it felt like it did feel a bit like an advertisement for him and Jiu Jitsu as such yeah well I, I, did, I didn't mind giving them the big I didn't get enough of Roger talking yeah, and I, I didn't about either. his personal experience now, that's not your fault I know it, it, I, I would call it, I would call that my fault I don't but you're over in his gym and you weren't like sitting here like this we'll, we'll put do. it this way with the benefit of hindsight if I was chatting to him like it, hopefully I'll get uh, Andy Ryan on now soon yeah and what I'll have in my arse pocket when I'm chatting to him is just two or three things so if the, if there's any kind of a lull in the conversation I have a, I have something almost like a seatbelt to kind of jump back in mm. with Roger he told his, his story we went from kind of from back in the day to present day and then there was there was a time when I kind of found myself saying I, I, kind, I kind of asked him something to kind of keep the, yeah. the conversation going I would love more he, Marcelo stories what happens oh of course but sure, look it's, I was driving home fuck why didn't I ask him this? <laughs> fuck why didn't I fuck like you know, yeah. I could have talked to the man for hours, but yeah. my inexperience at, at what I'm doing. Oh yeah. Uh, again, in hindsight, I would have had a couple of things that I could have pulled out of the bag just to stop that yeah. little gap because that gap came the second time, and I just went, "Listen, Roger, it's been great having you I on." You and mean. as I was saying that, I was kind of, like, "Oh, I can't believe I'm fucking ending yeah. this." But look, it's a learning curve. Like, I you know imagine I, mean? I say some stories now, but uh, we we'll get away from the MMA for a mm. second because I want to talk to you about. We've talked about your the different businesses that you've been involved mm. in and the different interests that you've been in have had. What are you looking forward to? Like what fucking, is there some, Is there a business idea that you've had in your head from day one that you never got a crack at? Oh, or, I fucking shit on them. Um, is there any standout ones or? You know, obviously I'm, I'm a carpenter, I'm, back, I'm doing carpentry as usual, you know, my bread and butter, it's a great one to fall back on. That's a great thing about having a trade actually. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, no matter how times go or get bad you can always pick up tools and work if you're willing to you know yeah um i have a few ideas um yeah nothing i want to talk about yeah yeah no that's that's fair enough um like. i've always just... ideas you know what i mean i've loads like a little fucking go mad if you heard it other <laughs> um i do but i think i've learned a lot about business over the years um i like i've done a lot of business where there's huge investment needed at start you know what i mean yes it's huge collateral where I think you need a small business that can start organically and just develop itself as well, you know. Um, I have a few ideas for different things, but like what you're doing is great. Um, With the growing business? Yeah, like I had to put 150 grand in to start my last business, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, what I'm doing now is great, I love it, but like it's small, it's, um, I'll only, like, I'm not looking to be a millionaire. Like, to be honest, things change when you go through business. Like, I used to think it was all about money, it was all about profit, it was all about everything and, don't get me wrong, we've done really well for a long time, it's great to have it, but then when you, it kind of goes away, and you look at it, and I wasn't happy, like, yeah, I fell out of love with what I was doing, the, the days were great when you start them up, things get real busy, you forget why you were doing things, you move on to other things, things get fucking manic, and, you re- you realise it wasn't what you were doing at the start, it's hard to describe, and hindsight is saying, it's great, but, um, looking back on it now, I'm not all about the money as such, um, 
when you say bit I like what I'm doing it pays me bills and everything but I think if I've I've other ideas but they're not necessarily they're they're, they're business based but they're not property based as such yeah no no I, mean? I get that I think yeah um, yeah like I, I like to do something to help people more of a social enterprise eh? not even a so yeah social enterprise but helping people in some way with different ideas I have you know um, yeah yeah that's, I just think well, you're, I think you're in a way you're searching for fulfilment more so than profits eh? now granted look we all have to fucking earn mm. a wage and we all have oh, to oh you have to pay your bills yeah like, of course you don't want to be yeah. stupid about it. I'm not saying I'm going to sell everything tomorrow and make a pair of sandals <laughs> out of a bit of rubber tyre and <laughs> save the world <laughs> yeah no but I, I think um, yeah I want to get something out of it more so than I did if that makes sense yeah no you're looking for fulfilment kind yeah. of a purposeful type yeah thing. I want to enjoy it every day and see where it's going to go and see, see it helping others as such whereas it's easy to make money I've, I've always made money I don't know why right I've always gotten to work I've always made money I've always done well and which is great don't get me wrong it's fucking brilliant but I don't know there's something there if I was to do something again as you said it'd have to be very mean like I have small ideas but it'd be mean I want something yeah more meaningful I want to feel like I'm making a, f- a difference yeah and do you do think you know something's I mean? changed like has parenthood or you know becoming a dad changed you oh, lots or? of things changed like um, yeah but becoming a dad changed me in loads of ways you know what I mean um, for the first and second time yeah, um, yeah my father died recently as well that's right yeah sorry um, to hear that alright oh this shit happens as you know yeah um, but that changed you too um, I was very close to my father um, yeah and stuff comes back to the conversations you had things you were doing like my father always strives to get to retirement him and my mother had bought a retirement home. My mother was retired. My father was to retire. That's right, he never got to do it. They were only in the house less than a year and he died. Um, never got to enjoy retirement. So I think I'm looking for more than just striving to get to retirement. I don't want to work my life, save a ball of money and think, right, I'll retire now and have a good fucking time. I want something I enjoy doing all the time, every day. Not waiting to get to the magic number to retire and start. You know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah, think no, no, it's more to life than that, you know? No, absolutely. There's a, a lad I'm a big fan of. I don't know if you're familiar with him at all. Jordan Peterson. Yes, I do. Sure, I listen to Jordan all the time. Yeah, yeah no, he's yeah. completely obsessed basically yeah. with, with what he talks about. Big time. Um, But he talks a lot about this idea of a trajectory as opposed to... As opposed to... You know, wanting to let's say as your, as your your dad would have wanted to do, he he had an end, he had an end point. He mm. wanted to you know retire as he put it, and yeah. that was a a point in time that he was kind of striving towards or whatever else. But what Peterson's angle on is is probably more what you're talking. It's not there's no destination. It's your trajectory. It's your trajectory yeah, that matters. Exactly, yeah. Once you're heading in the right direction, you'll do that endlessly mm, in, a, in a good way yeah, but yeah. there's no this idea of this idea of striving to get to a destination point I think is kind of it's a flawed way of of viewing the world I think because mm. and you often see it like people will say you oh, miss what's it? happening in the middle you know what I mean you do and you like you might say to yourself oh, all I want to do is is fight and make me debut and then then I'll be grand mm. but you know you make your debut and then you have to go on to your next fight and every fight that mm. you have is your biggest fight ever yeah, yeah. so if you're if you're focusing on an end point all the time it never really comes, do you mm. know that kind of way? Oh, so once, time, once yeah. your trajectory is right, you're kind of on a, a better path as such. Yeah, no, it makes sense, definitely. But I think the whole retirement thing was, I don't know, it's a way of making money too for for companies, you know what I mean? You're pumping this money into a fucking pension fund, you know what I mean? It is, and even even the idea of, of retiring, that's a yeah, that's a social construct. Like that's, a, that's what I would call on the lead. Yeah, totally on the lead, yeah. That's kind of yeah. doing what, 
people have always done before you. Yeah. And it's 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 impossible well, to... Not always. It's only a recent enough thing too. Um, I was reading something recently. Um, I can't remember where I read it now, but they're on about the retirement process and the whole thing of getting to your pension and all. That's not that, that old. Like other countries, some countries still don't have that. Like in Iceland, they, this actually, I was reading it in Iceland, they, um, they never retire, like you said. So they might have four careers in a lifetime. Yeah, yeah. So they take a career break, they might retrain in something else and they come back. But basically, they spend their money, enjoy their time and then they go make more money at something else that's different to keep it fresh, basically. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're not the whole time in this rush in the same job for 40 years waiting to retire. Like you might do the job for six years, make a few quid, go on a fucking cruise, a holiday, do whatever you want. Yeah, And course. decide when you're doing that, right, fuck it, I'll train and what else do I like? Right, yeah. I'll, I'll go and do that and train up and that and go and do that and then they do that for another while and save a few quid again. Right, let's give it another year break. Go do something else. You know what I mean? No, 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 big time. And that that whole mentality of at, like the name of the fucking movement or club mm. or whatever the fuck it's going to turn into is is getting away from it's that. Like the Illuminati, this club. You see the shit I had to do to get in here. <laughs> Secret handshakes in the fucking roll up. Yeah, yeah um, stuff. But yeah, like just that whole mentality, the off the lead mentality, is just trying to. I know, dust off the fucking cobwebs of society. Oh, totally, Do you know, like, yeah. I know, this Definitely. idea that you have to, you know, get a degree and you have to get a job and but you have to stay It's scary for, for people, years. isn't that the thing? People are scared to be different. Like, and to be honest, it's not that much different. When you actually talk to other people, lots of people think like-minded. But lots of people don't want to do it. It's like, they do want to do it, but they don't want to upset what they're doing. Do you, do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, of course. Don't want to rock um, the boat. Yeah, like, there's ties to everything. Like, um, big example, that's like, we're going to get into religion, right? Oh, <laughs> I'm not religious whatsoever. Or I'm not into any religion or anything. But um, obviously, I didn't christen my children, right? And I talked to lots of my friends that never went to mass in their life, never go to, never anything to do with the church. They don't do the confirmation, communion, all the rest. But as kids, like. yeah, and then they go and get married in the church. Right? I never got married in the church either. Yeah, they go and they get married and blah. Has to have kids and start christening. I'm like, why did you christen your children if you don't go to mass? And ask oh, me, mother, Jesus, my mother go moon if I didn't christen my child. I said, what do you mean your mother will go moon? <laughs> oh, Jesus, like, I don't want to rock that. Like, that's what we do. We just do it. Like, that's the way it's done in my family. And, oh, Jesus, my wife's mother, fucking hell. If we didn't christen the children, there'd be war. I was like, well, no. You're like, you actually influenced your children already by doing that. You know what I mean? You're christening them. They're into that thing. You asked that same person, you know, what do they think of the Roman oh, Catholic they Church? They tell you exactly. They have nothing to do with the hate. But I'm just doing it to keep her happy. You know what I mean? Fucking madness. They're indoctrinating their yeah. fucking innocent child yeah. into... Yeah. Uh, horrendous cult and I've recently gone to like right I don't believe in any of it but I'll go out respect to someone if they invite me to their child's christening you know what I mean yeah yeah or whatever Um, but you listen to the words now when you're at a christening like I was recently at a christening right and I never noticed it before the priest was talking whatever they talk about and then at the start of the mass he's talking to the parents of the child and then after the child is christened he then says now I can talk to my brothers and sisters you're part of the church. Yeah. I'm thinking, why, you wouldn't have talked to them before? Yeah, they were less than. Oh, but in space of two fucking minutes because you dipped their head in a fucking bit of water, like. Yeah. So now you do your brother and your sister, but you weren't before. And it was all kind of, like the way he was saying it, it's so well constructed, you have to give him that. It's a fucking show, like, isn't it? It's so <laughs> good. It's all religions are, like, you know. But, jeez, you have to give them props, like, the way, they, even when I was at a funeral recently, right, um, I was at loads of funerals over Christmas where it's fucking crazy Christmas for but I was at a funeral recently and listening to the words they're hitting people on the down at the worst of course they are fucking 
hitting them down like you yeah. know and you're like fucking hell if people actually stand back and listen to what they're ta- like they're saying what they're saying and when they're saying it to you yeah like you'll never see a priest round your house when you're fucking on top of the world no you're in the fucking depths of depression or you've got fucking cancer and all of a sudden they're knocking oh, totally. on the door like totally it's very clever, in your fucking like, you know, ear. very very clever clever system you know you have to hand it to them and that's the way it's always been you know but um, I think as I was saying but you were talking about people just not stepping off the lead I think that's one example with the christening thing where people just stay on the lead just to keep other people happy but really they don't want to be there well you see there you is <sighs> look um, sometimes you are going to piss people off sometimes you're you know your your mother or your dad or whoever it is would really like you to christen your kid or whatever else mm. but you have to be fucking you have to be true to yourself do you know that kind of way like oh, you have yeah. to you can't you can't live your life by other people's kind of expecta- expectations well sorry no you can of course you can but you fucking shouldn't <laughs> yeah but it'll hit you, you bite you in the ass eventually you know what I mean of course it will of course um, it will and sometimes you just have to you have to do what's right and like my sister had a, a baby girl there recently mm. and I was honoured to be asked to be the godfather mm. of my fucking niece and I said no Mm. Respectfully, you know, I said I told her I'd be there, fucking left, right, and center for yeah. the for the kid. You for don't need a church to tell you that. Exactly, but yeah, and that that was fucking that was kind of hard. You couldn't for have me, done like. it anyway because um, was well, is that that christening to go to the godparent? The, the priest comes down to them in their seat when they're there, and they say, "Do you swear to?" Bring of course, them? they do. Yeah, and of course, you're going to say, "Well, no." <laughs> yeah, but I think <laughs> which I think you should have done it just to see what would have happened because I've never seen anyone say no to the priest at that. It's 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 funny that you say that. You're after reminding me of fucking jury duty that I was on there, um, oh, fucking last year or so, whenever it was. I saw it must have been I don't know twenty or thirty people swear on the Bible to yeah. tell the truth. Yeah, it's bollocks. Every single last fucking one of them. Yeah, I'd swear and, on the Bible too if I'm up for something. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but this is these are the fucking jurors like I know. So like they had let's say thirty people one after the other every single one of them signing the fucking Bible or signing uh, swore in the Bible to say that they were going to tell the truth. None of them said there's no not fucking way that they're all devout Catholics. No, say. yeah. So you're literally starting off court proceedings with a big fucking con job essentially, oh, totally, a big yeah. lie, and a big it, falsehood. Like. Does they even ask is anyone any other religion? No, no, the Bible comes so out. They don't you pull know, out the do you swear they on don't the fucking whatever? Fucking no, no, and yeah. listen, maybe they have it there if you fucking ask for it, but yeah. no, nobody asked for it. Like, yeah. Do you know? So, yeah, I'm in Scientologist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, well, on. Listen, they'd have to have something like, yeah. like no way, they can't just say, oh, well, you're not fucking Catholic or you're yeah. not Christian, so you can't be on the jury. It's Having crazy. said that, you can't be president of this country unless you're a Catholic. Oh, that's fucked up. Maybe not a Catholic, but certainly a Christian. Yeah, it's crazy. It doesn't make sense, you know? That's what's wrong with the country, you know? Um, the church you can go on and on and I'm not going to bore people with the whole church no no we, w- we won't we won't shit on the Catholic church like I'm not uh, religious whatsoever actually I did a whole Jehovah's Witnesses at me daughter and I hilarious yeah see that's the reaction it's interesting you say it like that because um, I gave them a chance for once right yeah usually just fucking tell them to fuck off not like that but politely I've never had them with the door I, lo- I love yeah, the right, call because I was at a loose Jesus. end I just come out this far like. <laughs> 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 but I uh, knocked on my door and a, man, a lad from Glasgow and another um another young lad with me he was a black lad, um I think he where did he tell me he was originally from? I think it was it was, it was Nigeria, I think he said. But um he's Irish like his family are Nigerian, he moved to Ireland. Yeah. He's always living in Ireland, but um I opened the door and usually me and Villista have a deal, right? So if someone knocks at the door like someone's selling something or religious like that or whatever, if I'm not back in a few minutes, ring my phone. You yeah, of course. I mean, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, fuck, it's the president. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm standing at the door. These two witnesses come in. They caught me at a good time, at a bit of time. I wasn't in a hurry, Ratton. 
and uh, actually the kids were in bed it was great having their, day, their, their midday nap you know what I mean yeah, so yeah. I timed to kill usually I'd be like no kids are going mad get lost but uh, opened the door and I was like oh he starts to speak straight away very well rehearsed I was very impressed I said that's lovely I said oh yeah I said no but it was very well done I said I'm not religious I'm not into Jehovah Witness whatsoever oh what are you into I said I'm not into anything so you're a humanist I said no I'm not a humanist I said I told you I'm not into anything mm. and he goes but you have to be into something I said, ah, I'm into different things, but I don't box myself into any category, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he's pigeonhole that. yourself into Yeah. Something. So he said, but you have to be something. I said, I don't. I said, I'm me. Yeah. I said, and I introduced myself to him then at that stage. I mean, I'm Kevin Bootley. Like, what's your name? And then he told me his name and he told me their names. And I was like, uh, oh, no. Like I said, you don't have to box yourself into anything. Think about it. Why, why would I box myself into one thing? I said, well, what do you believe in? I said, well, you've done a big speech, as I said. And I said, well, you have to talk about hope. You have to talk about love. Yeah. They went on for like five minutes to be honest and I let him talk and then I said you're talking about hope you're talking about love you're talking about lots of things there I said I believe in all that yeah but they're not Jehovah's Witness things no but you know I mean? that's they're, what I'm saying yeah, like, course, yeah. Yeah. so I said like I said of other beliefs too you know and uh, he's like oh yeah good point yeah that's a good point and we're there chatting you know and I said uh, he actually brought up something about um, I don't know why they brought it up actually now that I'm thinking about it they brought up something about Muslim oh I said like um, yeah it's not for me and I'm happy and to being the way I am and like he was asking me all questions about God and I said you're still asking me questions that I don't believe in like you know you're missing the point I'm not into that like you know I don't yeah. need to think that to feel good about myself you know and uh, for whatever reason it came up about Muslims and the he was no they were on about Jehovah's Witnesses and the Bible and then it came up about um the Quran yeah and uh, I said right and he was just, I think he was naming different religions. And then he was on about, and then he mentioned something smart, not smart, but like, oh, oh, like, sure, people think they're all terrorists now or something like that. You know, this kind of thing. And I said, well, I have to stop you there. What do people think of Jehovah's Witnesses in Ireland, do you think? <laughs> and he looked at me, he wasn't expecting it, and he goes yeah. to me, uh, what do you mean? I said, there's a massive stigma of being Jehovah's Witnesses in this country. He said, people hate you knocking on the door. He said, well, you answer your door and you're here talking to me. I said, yeah, because I'm willing to see what you're all about. I said, you're not going to convert me or turn me, but I said, I was willing to give you the opportunity to talk. I think you're nice people. I'm not going to just tell you to fuck off off my door. like. But uh, I said, it's not a great statement to say that all Muslims, for example, are going to come out and blow themselves up, you know? Mm. I said, the stigma that comes with you two, I said, you're from Glasgow, number one. There's a stigma with Glasgow. You know, he's like, what? I said, people know Glasgow is a rough kip, you know? And he's like, what? <laughs> and I said, I'm just turning the thing it's back. Just, it's not nice when it gets yeah. fucking, you put the mirror up to and them. And then like. uh, the other young lad said, you're very fucking brave. And he's like, what? I said, you're a Jehovah's Witness and you're black and you're knocking people's door in Ireland. I said, fair <laughs> fuck, you are a legend of a man. Like, you know, and he's like, oh, they were, they were laughing. Like, you took it in good form, but uh, they, they got me a point. But it goes to show you, like, um, they were willing to knock the other religions in order to try make the sound good, like, you know. But that's the mad thing about, like, the organised religions, or should I say that the members of the organised religions, they see through everybody else's bullshit so clearly. Like they they yeah. see how obvious a con job Catholicism is oh, yeah. and Islam and Judaism and fucking everything else. But they can't seem to to see it in themselves. Oh, you know, no. kind of way, they, don't, they don't seem to see themselves as being lumped in kind of with all the rest of them. Like, what's, oh, yeah. what's that? They can see the 
the splinter in someone else's eye and not the plank in their own. I was like. waiting for one of these all night. I've been listening to your little you've loads of lines you love to say. And I hear them in all the podcasts <laughs> and I was just like, Why will Farno hit me on tonight? <laughs> there it is. I don't I don't disappoint. <laughs> Fuck, I think I've done what, two hours and I haven't dropped in an analogy yet. I know, it is. That's a go. record, a record. <laughs> That's definitely a record. I'm taking that record. I stopped them. <laughs> <laughs> but um Brilliant. Yeah, no, it it's mad, but as I said a few minutes ago, we won't get to, down to the no, business of talk, shitting on religion. We can talk on it again. But, but actually, you had Ivor on the podcast, right? Well, that's in a way what I was going to say. All right, cool. In relation to kind of spirituality, like, and again, I, I don't mean to kind of pluck on your heartstrings for want of a better term, but um, with your dad passing, mm. like, would you would you ident- you don't identify as let's say obviously any of the religions, but would you identify yeah. as a as an atheist, Stephen? Or no, no. See, like, my Ivor. I mean, have a good chance. I was great for the chats, as you know, he was on here and the whole lot. I was actually engaged with my sister to having a baby and all that, so I talked to Ivor quite regularly. Um, it's pretty cool, like, because he's open to most things, you know. But uh, I think I was on saying that here. He doesn't knock any religion either. No, God, no, not um, at all. In fact, he nearly encouraged religion. And I was a great man for actually, like, I think he was, was he reading the Quran at the minute or something? Oh, yeah, well, believe it, Jen. <laughs> yeah, you fucking read all of them, like, you know, yeah. just understand. And, and so right, you should, Jen. Yeah, but... Um, if if it's people are happy to do it right and they live their lives happily and they don't hurt anyone and I'm all for religion that's what I mean like I'm not going to knock any religion like you know I'm not going to knock atheists either if you're an atheist and you could be the nicest person in the world you know what I mean of course yeah but uh, I wouldn't class myself as an atheist either because um, what do I believe in is the thing I suppose people always ask me that you know I don't know what's next I yeah really, no one does but I know. Right, I do. I I think I mentioned it before the, the the meditation thing when I was in the sauna at that time and the whole lot. So I, I restarted researching the holotropic stuff. Um, Doctor Groff, I don't know if anyone knows him or whatever. I'm not familiar. So with originally him. he he pioneered in um the psychotherapy of mushrooms and stuff. What's his name? Groff. Doctor Groff is it Groff G R O F? Okay. Um. Yeah, it's Groff. Yeah, it is. And um. He he's a founder in it, but um, it became illegal then to treat patients with mushrooms. I yes, remember that. He he was a pioneer and all that. But uh, he had then come up with different ways. I think I might have mentioned this before, did he? Um, he had to come up with different ways then of obviously treating patients. So he came up with this uh, holotropic deep breathing thing. So when I had that experience, I had with my breathing. I started just looking around, researching things, and I came across, it and it sounded very familiar to what I had experienced. Now. Again, I'm not all in on holotropic breathing either because a lot of people say it can take you back to experiencing being born and like obviously there's some kind of a higher state of consciousness, right? I believe that definitely. There's there's more, there's something out there we don't all know, we're never going to know, which is obviously probably the best thing, you know. But I had experienced something that night. Remember I saying it was just I had the craziest experiences of lifting all but um I started messing with the breathing thing and looking it up and everything and doing the meditation and I I I loads of shit going on in my life but I was able to look at myself in a way I never looked at myself before. Now I suppose you have to start on yourself before you start on nothing else. You know what I mean? And sorry, when was this? When you were doing the the holotropic breathing or yeah, okay. doing the breathing. Now they do it with music and stuff, but I don't. I, for some reason, I don't like meditating with music whatsoever. Uh, like I could be at a lake or river or going for a walk or. 
lying it would be down. typical to have music during medita- meditation. How tropic it? it is. They do okay. this fucking music thing now. Um, it just drives me mad and puts me off. So, but and the, the type of music, is it like, you know, drums and things? No. Or? To be honest, yeah, there's drums and stuff, but it kind of comes to like a fucking big crescendo thing then as well. And you know what I mean? It's very... Con- like an orchestra type thing? Yeah, or? but it's meant to be taking on this journey and then it comes to be con- and stuff. But... Uh, I never got into the music power, so to be honest, I didn't fucking do anything with the music, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, but then recently, believe it or not, I've been looking at workshops to go to, just because there's no point not knowing the whole thing, so I actually am going to do a workshop eventually. In it. But you can, basically, Dr. Off realised you can re- you can touch higher states of consciousness without mushrooms, which he specialised in, you know? Yes. And he tested all the patients, he's done all the tests, and he's proven that, well, obviously they don't know because they can only monitor your brain activity and all, you know what I mean? But they're hitting the same activity that they were hitting with the mushrooms, you know, that kind of way. Right. Now, i done the whole breathing and as I said, I just had this thing where I, I just felt like I was looking at myself in my life. It's hard to describe. And I was able to subjectively look at myself. This would have been a few years ago now anyway. Objectively, you mean? Just yeah, obviously objectively. Just looking at right, all the things I done wrong. Basically, it just came before me like that was fucking shit. That was shit. Why did you do that? Was shit. <laughs> do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And it just started throwing stuff at me. I won't go into obviously specifics, but it just brought all that into me, right? And then it kind of brought answers to me for why I done them things. Clarity, like clarity in a way that I've never seen before, um, and that kind of was happening that night as well. And since I've been doing it, doing it more, there's a piece in it, like, you know, like some people, I've read people that do it and they write that they've seen this, they've, I don't know what, they're, like they've all their own different experience. I'm not going to knock them, maybe they have. Mm. A lot of people talk about fucking going back to the birthing canal and coming out and all that. I've never had any of that, but there's always clarity comes after. There's always something. I can't put my hand on it. I can't describe it. I really can't. And um, have you seen visuals? No, see, I don't want me tripping like that either. I, it's myself mostly. Not myself as such, me physical form, but my life playing out and just stuff that it's hard to describe. How how to describe it? Like just becoming a piece with stuff I've done, and then going forward, it's just like there's a sense of right. This is going to be good. It's it's hard to describe. No, no, no. I'm with you because what you're talking about sounds to me very much like uh, a psychedelic experience. Maybe yeah, not. Well, I've uh, done mushrooms you know what I mean when yeah. I was younger now I haven't I'm out of way I don't drink or anything anymore I don't touch any substances whatsoever and that was another reason what made me get into this because this is my opinion now I, yeah, I yeah each to their I, own each yeah. to their own I don't knock anyone like I said but uh, I were I were being to the other thing as well but I believe if you take a substance be it natural or any other substance you are altering your state chemically imbalanced in some way you know what I mean like you're taking if you take mushrooms, you're taking psilocybin. Yeah, psilocybin, no, no, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. Like, there's natural things occur in your body. Like, if you take testosterone, if you're training, like you're taking yeah. testosterone and stuff. But I believe you don't necessarily have to take anything to reach the same kind of highs. I think there has to be a natural way of doing it. Not that it has to be, but you don't have to always take something to experience something. You know what I mean? No, but there are there are kind of what I would call legitimate shortcuts. So oh, you, you didn't you didn't cycle out here. No. Do you like I know I no you I, fucking drove. I Huh? <laughs> but you know what I mean like, no I know what you like mean there, yeah. are... there is legit no, and that's why I say I wouldn't knock mushrooms mm. no I wouldn't knock anything but for me I didn't want to go down that road I, I, I just feel um, like I'll never drink again ever um, I'll, I'll never take drugs again um, like I even try not to take anything if I'm sick or anything you know that kind of way yeah yeah um, 
like I haven't it's not as if like I'm trying to self-heal or I'm a healer or anything none of that shit but I just feel like there has to be another way than putting something into your body all the time you know that's just me now just but again the, the pharmaceutical or the pharmacological route to cure all that ails you that's a real on the leads type thing to do do you know what I mean that's just mm. doing what you're what's basically been shoved down your fucking oh, throat yeah. like. so look, um, we can so see the we can see the benefits of that in America at the minute can't we yeah of course you worldwide I mean? absolutely mm. um, and I'm all for um alternative medicine has kind of has a, a bad sound to it um, but let's say practices that have been used for, for generations oh, you know, no, totally. and, and centuries definitely. basically I'm all for them but as well but not for me on the the holotropic breathing though when you get those kind of moments of clarity say mm, that's exactly how, how long does how long are you doing the breathing in order for that to happen like does this happen after like four hours or you know ten minutes or, or what like? it can be different every time but like roughly like what's the shortest and the longest it's taken you to achieve that say it's say ah two hours being what the longest or the shortest the, sh- the longest two hours okay and what about the shortest two, hours. shortest depends 30 minutes okay you know what I mean presumably if you're kind of doing it regularly and you're in the habit of doing it and you're getting into it or it depends how you start now that's I know it sounds weird but it depends what mind you're in it makes perfect sense starting it you know what I mean yeah so you could have a really shitty fucking day stress out your mind and you have to clear your mind to anything like that so if you if you can't let go of something you're just kind of sitting there breathing you know what I mean you can't you need to release everything open up your mind and just let go which is very hard to do. Yeah, absolutely. With anything like. Did you find that inspiring? Did you got a touch of that? Not inspiring. I tell you what, I used to experience in fighting inspiring, as I said, it used to be the slow motion thing. I don't know if you've experienced that. Not really, no. Yeah. I've heard people say that, but no, I never yeah. got a touch of that at I all. used to sometimes, when I felt really good, I'd be seeing things. They're obviously happening in real time, but to me they're not. <laughs> yeah, no, of course, yeah, yeah. And I've had that a few times, um... I've had that in other things where I've seen accidents happen, believe it or not. I've, that now I have had. There was a, a bad car crash at the Maxwell when I was walking. Yeah. And I I felt like I could have ran out, opened the door, yeah. taken the people out of the car, closed the door, brought them to safety, <laughs> and then the car had fucking smashed. Why like. didn't you, bollocks? I know, I know. But that's that's how it felt in that it's moment. It's mad, like. isn't it? It's yeah, crazy. It is, yeah, it is crazy. Yeah. Or if stuff ever happened that's to That's a heightened awareness, I presume. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But why? How is it happening? Fuck knows. You know, obviously it has to be releasing some kind of chemical in your body or something's happening in order for, you know what I mean? For you to, but you see, I think that's where the drugs come in. That's, I think that's... Oh, totally. I'm not just, I'm not saying it doesn't. You no, know, of course. Yeah. You're, not, you're not saying that they don't work they, because... I definitely, I'm not knocking them at all. Yes. Yeah, Jesus yes, Christ. I'm not. That's what I'm saying before. But for me, I wanted to find another route. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Don't ask me why. It's just... You've like, been fucking different, you can't. No, don't get me wrong, I fucking grew up in the nineties and uh, <laughs> Yeah, well that's it. Yeah. I lighted a boom too, you know. We've always been there, like I'm not I'm not a fucking saint by any stretch of the mind. I've tried most things, you know, but um not never really stuck with me, but you know what I mean? Like Yeah. Even the smoke I never got into I never got into cannabis, I never got I never got stuck to anything as such, you know, you know what I mean? And I was always looking for something that I could do. <laughs> yeah? I don't know if that you, you makes per- No, you personally. Yeah, yeah me course. personally. Um, I've experienced mushrooms, obviously. No, not the way I probably like you were talking about now. I had uh, some terror experiences just fucking milling the face. Yeah, well, you're, you're, set, you're set and setting as they say. Yeah, you're fucking, fucking 17 right. or 18 and you're just fucking milling them into you on Halloween night and fucking go moon. You know what I mean? <laughs> We've all been that soldier, but yeah, there's ways, definitely ways and I'm sure there is benefits away doing it on shortcuts. You know, but for me, I didn't want to go that route I, I I think the mind is so powerful that you just haven't used it enough you know what I mean we don't no, I'd be inclined to and agree. you still are using it doing that way don't get me wrong 
Yeah. But I think we should be able to tap our minds ourselves. You know, does that make sense? No, of course. Put it this way: I go running every day, and for me personally, the type of music that I listen to. It's 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 intense stuff. It makes the mm. the hairs in the back of my neck at least fucking yeah. stand up. And stand down when I and... yeah, <laughs> all that good stuff. But when I'm fucking steaming up a hill and it's pitch black and I've my fucking headlamp on and I have the fucking tunes in my ears like da, 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 and I'm fucking pumping and I'm driving up the fucking hill like that's nothing short of a fucking spiritual experience. Oh, like, totally. the, the fucking the feeling of that mm. when you when you hit that. Like runners call it runners high. I, yeah, I don't know yeah. if, if I'm experiencing what people re- relate to as runner, runners no, high. I, I, I totally presume I am. Experienced that, yeah, definitely. And that adrenaline rush when you're in a fight, or maybe when you mm-hmm. come to the scene of a crash, or or whatever it is, or maybe it's a, a scene in a movie. Maybe mm. fucking Rocky does it for you. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but yeah, yeah. you don't need the fucking drugs. It's a natural to high. Feel that natural high. Yeah, definitely. And I don't see why you can't sit down quietly by yourself and whether you do it over time or what, but basically pump those same chemicals. Yeah, well, the thing you asked me earlier on about the weight cutting, and it's only when I look into it more and more over the last while, fasting and breathing together, it, It's an, you, should, you, you need to try it. Like It's fucking amazing. Like I think what happened to me doing that weight cut was the fasting, number one. Yeah. And then on top of that, without realising that the breathing, they work together. And it's only when you get into it, you realise that's actually... That's the format. That's what you should be doing, you know. Well, that makes sense to me in a way. The, the fasting bit, I get, mm. because I think, especially with the kind of modern Western diet, we've numbed our senses. I think, mm. and we've numbed our our experience. Because I find it with cannabis, if if I I could smoke a a big fat joint all to myself if I'm just after having a big meal mm. and I barely feel the effects of it. But even if I just I'm hungry and I have a wine of a joint. Yeah. It's like, ooh, maybe put that down for later. Mm-hmm. I can feel it that bit more. So if you extrapolate that to practically having eaten very little for a week mm. and maybe do some, whether it's holotropic breathing or Whatever. something else, Whatever, it? Yeah. Um, it seems to kind of intensify it. Fasting definitely does, yeah. Do you know... Um, is powerful. Wim Hof. I know is, Wim Hof. I'm reading his book. Is that holotropic Tommy breathing? Man. Yes, is that holo- holotropic well, he, he's breathing? He's doing tummo. What's Tomo now? So, or what's the difference? Because I don't know what either it, it is. It really. is different. Wim Hof does breathing, but he, he, he does a form of holotropic breathing. But holotropic breathing is Dr. Graf's thing. And it's trademarked and all. And he invented it, right? Wim Hof does his own type of breathing. Mm, some the people, Wim Hof method, I think he calls it. Yeah. Some people call everything holotropic breathing. It's not. That's just the one that Dr. Graf invented. Okay. Right? And he trademarked it and it's his thing, right? But there's other types of breathing. And sometimes it'd be like, um, I don't know, what would you say, the way everyone calls, what, fucking roof windows, Velux windows, for example. Just yeah, or uh, smartphones, iPhones. Or iPhones, right? They just call them all the one thing. Yeah. Some people just call everything holotropic breathing. Well, it's not, right? So Wim Hof does his own type of breathing, right? But he does a form of tummo as well. So tummo, did you ever see the lads sitting in the ice? So the Rhine Break World Records are sitting in the fucking ice. Yeah. But they're stationary. Yes. Right. So a lot of them monks and all that. But they're stationary and they're not moving. So the the amazing thing about Wim Hof is he can as you know, he went Mount up Mount Everest and shorts Marathon man, and right? all he that ran jazz. Marathons yeah, yeah. in fucking Lapland. Yeah. Um, in his boxers. Yeah, in his boxers. <laughs> he can fucking swim under ice, he fucking come up. Yeah, just just to give so many meters. people an idea of Wim Hof, um uh, there's one thing that I love. There's one record. He's he's a world record which is my favourite. He is the world record 
for having the most world records. Yeah, yeah. That's, how fucking cool is that? Like, yeah, so look, look that man up. Like, Wim, yeah, was it W-I-M-H-O-F-F? That's it. Yeah. Wim Hof, yeah, yeah. Um, Becoming the Iceman, if you want to check it out. That's his book, is it? That's a book, yeah. One of, but uh, fucking some read. Um, yeah, so Wim Hof, right? So he believes he can get anyone to do this stuff as well. Yes. I'm only getting to that now, but um, he believes he can condition the body to do anything like so the, the stuff he does so he conditioned himself to the cold you know yes so anyway but get back to the tomo thing so the tomo thing you're sitting there and you're in the cold you can elev- you can keep your core rate hot yeah so you can condition yourself to stay in that cold now you know so um it's a kind of um like a form of like meditation you know what i mean so when you feel a body part going cold they're able to isolate that body part say if you feel your kidneys or liver is going cold they focus on them and they warm up again and they've proven this with um tests and everything yeah wim hof has been through the mill scientifically oh they went through every scientific experiment one scientist actually i forget his name he's very famous but he seemingly was done wim hof had these experiments in his lab stayed there took all his bloods and everything and it was taken i think it was three days for the results to come back and uh, seemingly people are with this scientist when he got the results he'd never seen, like he was jumping up and down this fellow's meant to be as calm as they come he was fucking ecstatic he was they're like what's the story he's like I've never seen that like this before this man <laughs> banging the top of his he, instruments does this fucking thing work <laughs> yeah. or what like. it's funny because when he done one of the experiments they went through um, three different heart rate monitors okay so to, to piss the Wim Hof done a little trick with them so uh, he done a like an exercise when he was being getting experimented on they're experimenting around with the cold thing, you know, but yeah. he decided to slow his heart rate down. So, uh, oh, his breathing, sorry, his breathing, it wasn't his heart. So he stopped breathing for two minutes, 30 seconds. Right. Just for the crack. <laughs> <laughs> so it was the respiratory thing, actually, it wasn't the heart rate monitor they changed, they changed the oxygen thing. So we're measuring the levels of acidity in his oxygen to see how he's doing all the stuff. But uh, yeah, so he kept fucking with them. So he'd be holding his breath for like two minutes, 30 and really long periods of time and the machines then were saying he's dead. Like, you know the thing of beep? <laughs> <laughs> he's flatlining. Yeah, he's flatlining and he's sitting there smiling at them like, you know. So uh, he's, he's incredible. Like, But yeah, he, he's very interesting in the fact that he believes like, he's like, like you're saying, he's, like, he's open to everything. Yeah, yeah, very so much he, so. He won't knock anything and he'll take, like, so he, the, the holotropic breathing he does is his own style. A bit like, what I found mine by mistake. He found the thing that works for him and he's kept it. Yeah, do you know what I mean? So people look at it, oh, well, that's derived from that, but it's isn't it isn't. It's similar. It's it obviously works in both things because it's doing the same effect. But he does it his own way, you know. He does it in his own head. He does it on the run. He can run, as I said. He went up Mount Everest, um, in a pair of fucking shorts. Yeah, he ran a marathon in the inside the Arctic Circle. Yeah, and all sorts twice. Um, broke all kinds of records, but um, he's able to the way he describes it. So he feels a cold spot coming, and he can focus everything in that cold spot. And warm it up again, you know. Yeah, it's incredible. Like, um, again, that's just a higher state of awareness because we do, as warm-blooded mammals, we mm. can regulate our body, t- our body temperature. That's totally. What, that's what mammals do. Totally, yeah. And like you taking control over that consciously, isn't that much of a stretch? Not really. really like you know. No, but to do it at the level, what's fascinating, what everyone finds fascinating about Wim Hof is the fact that he does it on the move. So most people are stationary when they yes, do this. Yes, and they're concentrating they're focused on Focused and they're in yeah. meditation. Yes, they're in a trance almost. They're in a trance. So yeah, but he does it running mountains in the snow and his fucking shorts. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Like it really, It's some really, you should check it out, the Iceman. Becoming the Iceman. Um, well worth it. There's lots of other stuff in there that I'm probably not even think of now, but there's so many lessons in that to be learned. And the breeding is one of them, yeah. Um, like, yeah, the other thing, conditioning yourself. So he'd be saying, actually in that book, he's a student in it. That was fascinated by him. 
and he used to email him saying I want to become a nice man as well Yeah. and it follows both stories so it follows what Wim Hof's doing in his life and it also follows in the background the story of that student emailing him and trying to become the Iceman and in the end Hoff teaches him how to exact, do exactly what he does so he's a lad doing it as well so he's done it with him to prove anyone can do this he's worked with a couple of fighters now just thinking out loud has he? did, did he work with the fucking your man who used to come out in the pride days with the hammer I can never think of his fucking name um, Overeem? yes does he work with Overeem? or am I mixing them up with someone know, else? someone's done a lot of work with that fucker <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to believe he was ever well away, isn't it? Jesus yeah fuck me fucking hell Chuck Liddell by him at middleweight did he, yeah? yeah I'll be useless remembering yeah, names. Yeah, so that's what's going on in MMA again. But yeah, yeah, he might have worked at Overeem and yeah, yeah. Um, but look, we won't go down the Overeem rabbit hole. Yeah, but he might be working with them kind of people. I wouldn't be surprised because if, if you're not working with him and you have access to him, Jesus Christ, I'd fucking take it. Do you know what I mean? Sorry, if you're not working with... If someone could work with him and they're not... I think he's open to... Oh, he's open with, to everything. Man. Yeah, he he's is, yeah. Table, Very yeah. much so that way inclined. That's what people but. are saying, like, email him and emails you back. Like, you know what I mean? This is... He's just open to everything, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. sets these challenges for himself. He makes things up like on the spot nearly. He be, he might have climbed Everest there. He didn't get to the summit. He actually got frostbite, believe it or not. No way. Yeah, he reckons um, there was a lack of oxygen. He he went too fast. Right. Um. See, he can't do things slow either. So he don't kill him in Jarrow in shorts too. Yeah. But he's helped a load of like he's brought like fucking eight year old men who've never walked up a set of stairs up to the oh, top yeah, of Kilimanjaro. He's, he's done crazy stuff like that. But like. what he done was he he can't go at a slow pace. Right. So the way he works is if he tries to hold himself back, it doesn't work. So the way he's failed doing things, this is what he was describing as like he's trying to work at your pace and do what your body's trying to do, and he should be doing what his is trying to do. So he got this frostbite because I think he um, as he described as lost concentration, he slowed his pace down for doing something. And he didn't focus on the body fully. And then he got frostbite in his left foot or something doing this right. challenge. So he reckons because he learned from that then that he has to fully 100% all the time focus this meditation, this breathing, this Wim Hof method yeah. on himself all the time. He can't lack. So he, he's a couple of times where one time he was showing off or something in a marathon and he started talking to the press. While he was running. While he was running. And he started fucking feet started to get cold again and freeze up and he struggled to the end. You know what I mean? So it happened to him twice or something he was saying and he never let it happen. He has to be fully in the moment all the time, fully concentrate and not lose focus basically. You know? And does he talk about kind of religion or spirituality or anything like that? Or like, is he religious or? He's not so much religious. Um, he believes in the higher state of consciousness, all right. Yeah. Um, but again, and you see that, that belief in the higher state of consciousness that's been around or seems to be around forever. Like it seems mm. to be ubiquitous amongst all cultures, mm. cultures that have been isolated each other from each other for fucking yeah, thousands yeah. and thousands of years. And the organized religions are essentially a parasite Yeah, yeah. on that. Yeah, well, like we, talked, we all have the same stories. Like. Bit, like we do. Yeah, definitely. But he speaks of this one thing I found interesting was he was with some tribe and, uh, like he just goes in these mad fucking things. Like he'll just decide something and he's gone. Like mm. he went to met this tribe and they were what did he tell me? They were herders or something, anyway. They were nomadic or whatever. But they were able to they used to be able to he was talking to an elder man and they used to be able to communicate with phones. Okay. So Telepathically. So if someone was out miles away with the cattle and I was back at the huts, they were still able to get messages and they were reading them. And just th- not on their phones. Yeah, <laughs> and the elder, and then obviously, 
it's been starting to be even within tribes that's starting to get lost with different influences and stuff they were telling him like so half, he just touches on it basically saying like after talking to the man he can see how that happens and stuff like that you know so, yeah. but uh, it's just an interesting little side story on his travels like you know but there seems to be a great resurgence in I suppose spirituality you'd call it massively yeah and, and I there's think no harm like as I said for anyone into anything don't just settle for the norm don't settle for what's been pushed down your throat like you said Find out yourself. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Don't get born and say you're a Catholic. Right, cool, I'm a Catholic. Here's another little saying because I haven't put in enough of them in this podcast. <laughs> um, in an age of information, ignorance is a choice. True, yeah. I love that. There's loads really of them. Ha- you love Hoss book. He's loads of them like that in the book too, you know. But um, I'm crap at remembering them. That's not my problem. <laughs> I often read them and like, that is fucking brilliant. I'm going to use that one. Yeah, yeah. And then it's gone. You know what I mean? Uh, look, I've been, I can remember shit like that, but I fucking struggle to remember yeah. your name or my own name <laughs> or dates oh, don't get me on names. Else. I have to actually uh, apologise to anyone's name. I forget. I'm terrible with names. I even forget my own child's name sometimes. You don't know let mean? herself hear you say that. I hope oh, she's not going to listen to this. It's terrible. It's ter- I am. I'm terrible. And she knows. She's but look, we all have our fucking strengths and weaknesses. Like, do you know yeah. what I mean? We're good at some things. And oh, she'll be giving out to me. She'll be like, uh, it's just your laziness. I'm like, what? You're fucking lazy. If you want to remember that name, you could remember that. You can remember this. You don't. Name. You don't think it is, though, do you? Or I do don't you? know. I don't know what it is. It's one thing I have actually. His names. It's fucking crazy. I worked at a lad for a week one time. I kept forgetting his name. It's fucking mad. Yeah, no, I, I, I'd be terrible with names, but, but brilliant. But other stuff. But is it because someone just tells your name, right? That's your name, and then you just go on to the next. I, su- I suppose it, it. It depends on. It depends on a lot of things, but like, mm. like I, I, I wouldn't be great with let's say numbers. Mm. So. Um, one of the previous de- guests that I had on was a cousin of mine Des Seepersad mm. and he, he'd be fantastic with numbers he's numbers mm. focused he probably got a, an A plus in fucking mm. honours maths and the leaving or, or whatever else um, but I'd let's say if you were to ask me to add a hundred and nine and nine yeah I'd go okay right a hundred nine and nine is eighteen yeah so it's a hundred and eighteen. Yeah. But he just go one hundred and eighteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he that's just the way he's wired. He just he yeah. can just jump to that. I'm not the best numbers now myself either, to be honest, which is mad being a carpenter, you know. Like I was terrible in school at the maths and then algebra was non existent to me and then started becoming a carpenter and roofing is all algebra. Really? Totally. Algebra. Oh and angles for fucking Angles, discovering the width of the raft, the length of the raft, or the height, everything. It's all algebra. And I just never understood algebra and then when I started working at it and learning roofing it all made sense to me. It's crazy. Yeah, I remember hearing a story mm-hmm. when I was in primary school about a lad. Uh, this is just some fucking waffle the teacher told us, but he was explaining to us that he had a, a student who couldn't add, basically. Mm. He was just that bad at maths. like just couldn't add. In sixth class, he just couldn't add. But he was a hard-working young lad and he had a milk run. And you could tell him that you needed three bottles for this house and six bottles for this house and mm. ten bottles from this house and the next house was half price and this, this, this and this. And boom, just like that, he'd have the answer for you. But he couldn't, you know, he needed something tangible. He needed to be yeah. taught maths in bottles of milk and you were the same on yeah, algebra. That's he mad, needed yeah. to be taught Makes the, sense. the tangible physical thing. Yeah, we're, see it physically, yeah. Like we're all, we're all the same but we all have our strengths and weaknesses. Like so, yeah. some of us are fast runners, some of us mm. are fucking... Uh, weightlifters some of yeah. us can fight some of us can fucking do all sorts and I think intellectually we're the same some of us can you know do maths in our head but some of us do you think you, you know, could be taught to do maths in your head if you really got taught properly I think you can be taught to do anything yeah but I, I was going to say that Yeah. I also think that you are kind of biologically predisposed to doing certain things better do you think others. if you had been a kid now when you were younger and someone had an interest in maths and rubbed off on you more would you be good at maths now 
It depends because this. Do you think you're born bad at maths? You certainly can be, I think. Yeah. And it gets back to this kind of nature nurture uh, mm. debate. And I don't know what the scientific consensus is, but it's. I'm happy enough to just have it in my head that it's about 50 50. Right. Because some people. It's like. Like we all have the same brains, the same way we all have the same bodies. Mm hmm. So, like, we all have two legs and two arms and an arse and a torso and a neck and a head. If we're, if we're lucky, yeah. But Yeah, if, of course. <laughs> but some of us are eight foot four and some of us are fucking four foot nothing. Yeah, yeah. And our brains, I think, are the same. Some of us are predisposed to the mental equivalent of running the 100 metres really fast and some of us are predisposed to the mental equivalent of running a marathon really fast. Yeah, you're wired in that way. Yeah, well, Genetics is what you're talking about, really. There. Oh, no, absolutely, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, there is a certain amount of, of, of nurture. Let's see, say it could be mental as well as a physical genetic thing, so you could be oh, mentally... Oh, no, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Like, yeah, if your fucking prefrontal cortex is, let's say, the equivalent of long, like your legs mm. are long, you know, you're going to be better predisposed to doing the, met the mental equivalent of basketball yeah if, yeah if that makes sense yeah 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 so we all have the same brains but only in the sense that we have the same bodies yeah so we're predisposed to being better at certain mm. things than others and that's the fucking crippling thing about our education system oh yeah it's geared as though we all have the, we're all the same yeah well here's the same for you you ready for this go one, for man? it so Take you, notes. You, you wouldn't teach a bird how to swim you wouldn't teach a fish how to fly you know yeah, what I mean of course yeah no absolutely 100% that's the problem with the school system isn't it really yeah no and it's, it's a shame and how many how many fucking geniuses in their own right you know are classes being stupid I heard another mm. good one recently was uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson I was listening to and mm. he was saying that imagine you have a, a spelling contest mm. or a spelling bee I think as, he, as they call them and you get a kid up and you go right spell the word cat and he goes C-A-T and you go boom fucking 100% into the winner's section the next lad comes up and he goes K-A-T you shake your head no, f no. Yeah, into yeah, the loser's yeah. corner next guy how do you spell cat yeah. Z-Y-4 into the loser corner yeah. with the other loser but like one was a hell of a lot better than the other but they're, mean, because yeah. they didn't get the textbook answer yeah. you know it's not right yeah. the other example he gave was you're interviewing for a job and you throw a curveball at the at the uh, the interviewee mm -hmm. and you say what height is this building and your man goes well I studied architecture and I know all the heights of all the main buildings it's fucking 200 feet tall mm. boom perfect answer next guy comes in you ask him what's the height of the building he's like oh Jesus having a clue hang on a second and he goes outside he measures the length of his own shadow and then he measures the length of the building and mm. he knows what height he is so he does a bit of back of the napkin map, mats and he mm -hmm. comes back and goes the building's probably about I don't know 200 to 210 200 to 210 feet tall mm -hmm. no you're wrong yeah. but who'd be the better person to hire the guy who got the answer nearly right and figured it out yeah, or yeah. the guy who just has a brain for remembering shit yeah well, there you go yeah. you know, like, I, know, I yeah. just thought there were two great examples depends on what task you're going to set them to well you see it? that's it like yeah. you know um, and that's the, the killing thing about the, yeah. the yeah, education, education system. system is totally flawed yeah I totally agree um, I don't look forward to yeah my kids going through it it's um yeah, and another friend of mine was telling me recently that uh, he was very happy with his kids' education up until they started having to do the entrance test. Yeah, because then the education Boxing in straight away though. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. yeah. Up up until that, it was up until that they were trying to teach the kids. They were trying to get the kid to learn for the kid to be wiser, for him mm -hmm. to be more informed. But as soon as the entrance test was around the corner it was getting the right answer to questions. Yeah. So with Irish in particular, he was being taught 
see these words in the question well if you can find them in the paragraph mm-hmm. you know that's the answers in there like. yeah yeah and this idea of educating kids to pass tests as opposed to teaching kids how to educate themselves mm-hmm. which is what you said at the outset oh, of this yeah. fucking podcast we can we live in an age where you can yeah, do that like. you can do whatever you want yeah definitely but uh that's what it's all about no, absolutely. Get off the lead, as you said, and get yeah. out there and figure shit out for yourself. Don't take and question everything. That's one thing I do to my detriment sometimes, pisses people off. But question everything. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I always say that. Don't take that for gospel. But you know you're, I mean? even if it's right, it can. There's always another way too. You know. But you're, when you look at the amount of things that have been kind of overturned in the last, you know, mm. 10, 20 years, or even more recently, like where new scientific discoveries have been made every day yeah. that's just laying to waste yeah. hundreds, if not thousands That's the of best years. they had at the time, so people went to it, and then some new evidence comes up, and it's like, oh shit, we were wrong, you know what I mean? So, you can't take anything, anything can change anytime. I always think that anyway, you know? No, big time, but definitely. here's another one for you. Imagine you were able to listen to a conversation like the one we're after having when you were, you know, 12. Mm. How f- much more, and you were listening to them regularly. Like, let's say like, you're a fan of Rogan's podcast, are you? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I listen to Joe a lot. Yeah. But listen, put it this way all the different types of podcasts that you've learned mm. from over the last couple of years, it's a relatively new yeah. thing. Imagine you had access to them when you were fucking. Well, 10, what I did have access to when I was young. We were massive readers in our house. Fair play to my mother and father for that, you know. I used to love the Reader's Digest. What? I'm not even sure what the Reader's Digest it is. It was a magazine honest. that my mother used to order it came, I think it was every two weeks. Right. And it was just full of random shit every two weeks and stories and stuff that probably wasn't meant to be reading probably at whatever, 11, 12, 13. But uh, we used to kill each other in the house to see who was going to get it first. Like, <laughs> just all random stories. New information. New information, questions, yeah. everything. Oh, it was just random. There was everything going on. It, you know what I mean? There was problems page, there was this page, there was questions, everything. And, and uh, I used to fucking love it. It was just so diverse. And uh, yeah, we used to read that regularly. We wanted to encourage it, like, you know what I mean? You see, there was a real... There's a real beauty in that, in in mm. the in the limited amount of knowledge that you had. Do you yeah. like in a way because you didn't know what was in it and you couldn't wait to read it. But the internet is nearly the opposite of that. Yeah. There's everything you could possibly ever want to listen. Yeah, but what and do you want tons to of it. It's nearly too much sometimes for some people. In a way, in yeah, a way, yeah, yeah, yeah big yeah. time. But I think people are getting better at being a bit more selective of yeah. of who they're listening to and kind of checking their sources. And yeah, but in, do listen. To me. One thing drives me mad now about people and the internet. And even myself, like, I know I've talked about William Hoff, I've talked about Dr. Crow, other people there. Don't just take me talking about something or whoever you listen to on a podcast. Don't take that for gospel. Because I talk to people like, well, I listen to that on such and such podcast, so it's fucking right. That's it. There's no other. Yeah. I'm like, no, it can be a diff- it's gonna be something different there. You know, you don't have to take that for gospel. Oh, no, but such and like Joe Rogan said it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it can't fuck be wrong. if Joe Rogan said it. <laughs> I like Joe Rogan, don't get me wrong. But just because he says something doesn't mean I'm going to not question it or take it for yeah. gospel. He might be right. Happy days if he is. But don't just say, right, because he said it, it's right. No, big time. Not everything everyone ever says is right. And even the experts that he's in, you know, yeah. e- experts in air quotes, like they might Definitely. be the leaders. You said in their there could be some scientists in there, and the next year they might come out with something new, and that scientist was wrong. You know what no, I mean? Of course, yeah. But yeah, people, I always get that. I talk to people this podcast, yeah, listen to such and such. And then they're debating stuff with you that they're. Like, well, yeah, you're debating, but you don't know that. You only heard someone else talking. What research have you done? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. You know, yeah. I know he's done all the research, but you're you're diluting his research and giving that shit to me. Without, you know what I mean? But at least that person can say that they're, you know, at least they can say Joe Rogan said it. The one thing that fucking kills me even more is when they said, oh, I read it online. Oh, man. And you're just like fucking, yeah. oh, fucking bite down on your fucking gum yeah, shield. Yeah, like, yeah. I, mean? I read a fucking Google ad that popped up on the side of my page online. Doesn't mean that's right. Of course, yeah. Do of you course. know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah, big time. Or it's in the newspaper or in a book. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah, no, absolutely. Sick, yeah. But, uh, brother, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure. We've just done the, what are we on? Just over the three hour mark. No way. Uh, Jesus. 
I'll have you on again. I want you on the next the next time I have you on, I want to talk to you about your new venture because I don't know, I have a feeling that you're going to fucking start some fucking thing or do some fucking... Call off the lead. It's a, whole, <laughs> it's a new movement. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you're fucking part of it now, immortalised in fucking yeah, podcast yeah. form for fucking good or bad. Along with being tapped out in all my other MMA videos. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What? So, Kevin Boot, Clan Wars, I'll just put you up? Kevin Boot, getting the shit kicked out of him and see it everywhere. <laughs> Listen, man, it's an absolute pleasure. My pleasure. I loved it. Loved it. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, brother. Nice one, man.